guys to start this Hi there! You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for... This is a twofer, but the first part of this podcast, which you're listening to now, is the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for The Great Gatsby. After that, we'll be talking some Star Trek Into Darkness. You're getting a twofer because we, we missed last week. Um... So, uh, let's get right into some great Gatsby talk. I am Tom Chick, and I am here with... That's Gatsby talk? <laughs> Stand by for that. Right here with, Sorry. I'm here with Christian McClinsky. Yeah, you can just refer to me as perfect here. And with a great Gatsby tagline that I cannot wait to hear, Kelly Wand. Fuck someone cheaper. Just my advice to every Fitzgerald for is, is that an advertising slogan? I'm just, you know, why can be so, there's a million other people. You don't need to just spend $10 billion to get, oh, maybe, you should, never mind. You'll see. Well, that, that, yeah, well, let's save that for the uh, spoiler part. You know what, let's spoil it throughout. But before we do that, Dingus, what would you have said if you were to say something about Great Gatsby that was spoiler-free? I would have said this week or that week we saw The Great Gatsby, a 2013 drama romance remake adaptation 3D movie, which, according to IMDb, is about a Midwestern war veteran finding himself (laughs) drawn to the past and lifestyle of his millionaire neighbor. What? (laughs) That's so nice. I I love IMDb. IMDb, I used to think it was the stupidest shit and just... Shit disguises information. Wait, the other way around. And now it's my. I look forward to Dingus thing things about it. Okay, sorry. Yeah. It was directed by Baz Luhrmann and written by him with Craig Pierce, based on the novel by Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald. Dingus, did you read that book? Because Tom just read it. Uh, I read it uh, when I was in high school, and that was enough. It stars Jason Clark. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Isla Fisher, Elizabeth Debicki, and Carrie Mulligan. The Great Gatsby was rated PG-13 for some violent images, sexual content, smoking, mm. brief language, <laughs> and partying. <laughs> How come Spring Breakers didn't get that? Why? I have no idea, but I love that the MPAA thinks partying is a thing. <laughs> partying? And 20s partying, too, like with an orchestra and with confetti and, and with martini glasses and a big band. And, yeah. They don't <laughs> mention drinking, do they? Or do they? Was no. It, well, partying, I think. The, I think partying that's the uh, umbrella. To those uh, lushes at the MPAA, apparently. Uh, Great Gatsby on Metacritic, which is the average of uh, ratings from reviews that use ratings and others. Uh, Great Gatsby is at 55 on Metacritic. On Rotten Tomato, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, Great Gatsby, 48% of them are positive. Ergo, the majority of them are negative. Hmm. Uh, Great, Great Gatsby opened at number one. It is a $50 million opening weekend. Um... And now, Kelly Wand, I would like, I am desperate for a great Gapsopsis. Do you even <laughs> try to say it right? Or is that your pet? How about a great Gatsbyopsis? <sighs> the great Gatsbys. Yeah, the great Gatsbys. All right, Thanks. I want one of those. So, Kelly Wand, 
I want you, you have to a good talk. ear, but your old get, your guesses are always like, or is it just you're straight manning me to say it? Um, great gats bops. This was what. Actually, you're probably right. I, I never. I Kelly Wand. I cannot. I cannot look into the mind of Kelly Wand. I never know what's going to be in there. Mm. That's a it, George Washington quote. Yeah. It is beyond my ken. Um, that said, though, Kelly uh, Wand, <laughs> drive it like you stole it. The great Gatsby's. It's your very good friend. They didn't wait. So smoking in a period piece is a PGR rating thing. That's not the Great Gatsby's, by the way. I was just thinking again. The Great Gatsby's. Things Baz Luhrmann remembered reading in The Great Gatsby and set to hip-hop. <laughs> Here I, I am. Oh, yes. I, I, already, lo- I already love this, uh, this opsis, by the way. Rock me like a hurricane. <laughs> if we get delayed, I, I like go back and fiddle with it more, so then they kind of get... That's what she said. Oh, boy. All right. Here I am, Toby McGuire, talking slower than ever. And now I'm in a sanitarium because going to parties all summer in New York made me hate everybody except the host. My favorite neighbor since the awesome Adams five summers ago. I think I was Demi Moore's lawyer in disclosure. That'll be $100. Doc, I can't talk about it. They don't teach great American therapy sessions in schools. Stupid police state. Ah, fuck it. Let me give it a whirl. Uh, God's a metaphor for optometry. I'll tell you what I tell all my patients their first session. Write it down. Then we'll burn it. That'll be another $100. Hey, how about psychiatry as a metaphor with the brain on the cover? Oh, cool. You have a typewriter here and a pen and tea set. I feel saner already. Guess selling bonds kind of involves writing. That's exactly what the guy who eats his own feces three wards down says. Thomas Pinchon. Okay, Doc. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, Doc. Pretend my voice over here shit I'm typing in 3D. It all started after the dissolve. It was the 20s, and the skyscrapers of money in my eyes were even bigger. Ha! My old college mascot, Tom Buchanan. I hear you married my cousin Daisy from Chicago. I just bought the tenement ruins across the bay to work on my great American novel about bond selling. Bitches are in the coitin' room with the coitins. (laughs) That's Edgerson, by the way. (laughs) Toby, darling, is Chicago still in Illinois this time? (laughs) (laughs) That's my sexy Carrie Miller. Kelly, well, that was beautiful. Can I hear that again? Toby, darling, is Chicago still in Illinois this time of year? There's a moment in the actual book, uh, Great Gatsby, where uh, uh, he, uh, Gatsby observes that Daisy's voice was full of money. <laughs> Kelly, Wand, you, you just captured that. <laughs> in a made way. <laughs> Wait, the swingers way. I gotta <laughs> Say it like you stole it, Kelly. This is your love interest, Jordan. She's barely in the movie and runs over no one, but you'll still get sick of her. (laughs) Damn black people own everything. Damn Jews, too good at sports. Tom read a book this year. He wore a straw hat and a pinstripe jacket and had the book melted down for gold while I tried to explain what gold leaf was. Phone Mr. Buchanan. It's the... (laughs) Thank you, Spielberg. I'll take it in the room where the phone's at. 
So your name's George? Huh? What's up with that shit? I'm trying to eavesdrop on Tom's phone call while Daisy screams and throws dishes. Oh, can't we make out at the same time? I'm a failed novelist, by the way. Thought I'd sell more Bonds Lakeside. Why is she mad at the dishes? Shh. Tom's sleeping with the character actor's wife near those iconic New York mash mouths. <laughs> Fuck! Move the amp from the mash and put up. <laughs> Tom's sleeping with the character actor's wife near those iconic New York ash mounds that are a metaphor for something. Oh, hey, if you already know what's going on, why eavesdrop? Ha, you remind me of my new golf shoes. Have you met your neighbor yet who keeps throwing epic parties? He has the same name as a soldier. <laughs> he has the same name as a soldier Daisy used to sit in a car with, but I've never met him, so it's probably not the same person. <laughs> Why, I enjoy CG set period pieces. What do I have to do to wangle an invite? I wonder if Tom's draperies here match the carpet. Ha, you disenchantable Maguires. Every. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I hate the 20s. That's the real takeaway. Everybody in New York simply shows up on Gatsby's doorstep every night to dance and get drunk. It's only 1922, so instead of Facebook, we make do with telepathy. Come on, you knuckle sandwich. Get off the train and listen to me have sex in a hotel room. You can have a sister, an androgynous photographer friend who's not the harpsichordist. Same mustache, though. I've only been drunk twice in my life. That was the second time. The first time happened off-screen, I guess. I'm also not counting the 98 nights I got shit-faced by Gatsby's pool all summer. Later. Maybe twice is the wrong word. Anyway. Hey, Mr. Buchanan, ready to sell that car yet? I ain't got no money or nothing, but the kid you impregnated my wife with might be worth a couple Busby Boykleys over there. Why, you two-bit four-flushing carpet boozler, I might just have sex with another mechanic's wife if you keep it up, you West Side shinebox. Yes, sir, Mr. Buchanan, pleasure being degraded by you. You guys still there? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Man, this party's awesome, except for all the anachronisms taking me out of it. Fuck this party, actually. It appears I'm a poor sport, old host. Name's Jay Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, DiCaprio. I'm better. <laughs> I could have played the role. Yay, wise, long for a period. What do you think of me? Speaking of which, I took out three machine gun nests at Oxford using just a single paddle wheel dick four. There's the Medal of Honor every country in Europe gave me. Let's say we take my yellow car hydroplaning across the ice tomorrow. Ah, uh, this must be the guy you want me to do something shady with. Uh, no, this is my neighbor, Toby Maguire. Ixnay on the 80s shay till fuckface here's Amor Else. <laughs> Old sport, eh? <laughs> Salam alaikum. I got this bicuspid on the chain around my neck off my dentist after he pulled it out of right here. Excuse me. That's the guy who fixed the World Series. I thought Daisy might have a cheating at baseball fetish. Oh, you're trying to bang my cousin slash friend's wife? How can I help? Ha! Stoning people to death such an old sport. You see, I fondled Daisy's pantaloons in a car one morning, then poetically extended my half-open hand toward her breast and kept it frozen like that, as if I was trying to grasp a distant ball of gas in the night sky. <laughs> I agree with Dingus's chair. <laughs> Eventually, she yawned and got out of the car, but I vowed never to lower my arm until she was mine or someone else's. 
Sadly, however, only one thing stood in the way of destiny, fate. I got shipped off to war, then came back and wrote her a letter telling her to wait five years while I tried to figure out how to get rich looking for drowning millionaires. Probably should have mailed that sooner than her wedding day, but it's not called stocking for another 80 years, by which time I'm confident my feelings will be reciprocated. I suppose I could simply invite her to one of these parties now that I've thrown 904 of them, but she thinks I'm dead, so invite her to tea. If all goes well... We'll retreat to my mansion where I'll throw various colors of toilet paper and handkerchiefs at her till the rain blows my patio door open. Better husband, stupid door. Never tried that before. Okay. Hey, Gatsby, look, your psychotic plan worked. You're having sex with my cousin. Awesome. Here's my third favorite lubricant. Hey, is that Bob Dew of hers, representative of... Ha ha! Not everything sex with Carrie Mulligan, old sport. She won't be truly mine until I coerce her to repeat a scripted declaration of non-love for her husband in a hotel room. Women love being told how to feel. Or my real name's not the Gergatz. But, great Gatsby, man, you can't repeat the past. Although I guess lying's sort of the real issue in this instance. Can't you fuck someone with fewer issues and daughters? Just a thought. Don't be foolish, old Oort Cloud. Only the past can be repeated. It's the future that doesn't exist yet. Oh, yeah. Heavens to Murgatroyd, this oven's a furnace. Let's go into the sweltering city and find a hotel room with no AC. Fine, you ride Gatsby's banana tank there, and I'll take the... <laughs> and what's a face over here in my blue model Q? JK, let's stay. We can have bad vibes here without commuting. Damn it, I want at least one of us holding an ice pick before I add one more word of verbal abuse in this maddening heat. And that's a request! Okay, there's a guy, black dude's trumpet on the fire escape. My, what an atrocious hotel room. Sandra Bullock can't do unsympathetic either. Ah, pipe down, you message, Schmidt. Now, see here, I believe what Daisy meant to stammer is that she hates you. Oh, yeah, I did a little digging, maybe, and guess what? Your birth certificate doesn't even have the word great on it. Tom, not another word of truth, or I'll simply leave this instant. J.K., continue. Well, aging sportsman, the word great wasn't used in hospitals till leap year on account of cotton gins. I also called Oxford, and have never even heard of Fitzgerald. Sir, I'll have you know the school of hard knocks was even harder to get into with my GPA. And there was no World War One. Europe doesn't even exist. Now listen here, you boorish cat. I'm from a very small town called Atlantis. It's not on any maps. <laughs> I mean, the real issue is that Daisy doesn't love your money. She's into mine slightly more now. I feel badly the money had to find out this way. But as we said during the war, I surrender. Really, Daisy? Not even when you said it to your reflection in Al Molinero? Or that time I carried you in a punch bowl to a blizzard? Oh, that was you. I thought it was Gatsby. I was really bombed that night. Now, see here, you Twizzler. Daisy's obviously very distraught. I'm going to put her behind the wheel of the unsafest vehicle ever and drive it over a bridge. Good day, sir. Hey, look, that yellow car someone I used to have sex with drove past in earlier that's headed right for me at 300 miles an hour. Yoo-hoo! Ow! I'll for sure. <laughs> FYI. Well, old Spider-Mort, I took a murder rap for another man's wife. If I know women, she and I'll be together forever. I expect her call, tearfully saying so any minute. Care to watch me swim among dead leaves? 
No, your place is going to be swarming with cops any second. Although a crazed, flu-ridden mechanic openly carrying a pistol somehow beat them here on foot. But thanks. Ha! 3D and the 20s go together like me and Daisy. Now, if you'll excuse me. I honored my promise to Gatsby by telling no one about my cousin being a hit-and-run murderess. Although true, I did just pen this whole novel about it. But except for this weirdly bored state-appointed psychiatrist with a tea room, no one will ever read this, let alone teach it in schools. Anyway, life is like a box of chocolates, a bow wrote cesareanly by oars, made out of the past, going uphill like that first part of the log ride, calling Ishmael, huh? You said cut it down, so I took Wait, out... Wait, what about the end? You didn't say the end. said the end while you were... <laughs> hear that. Uh, all right, Dingus, I want you to get in here first, because uh, I think you have the uh, least familiarity with the book. <laughs> no, you, uh, I think Kelly Wand and I have a lot of baggage with uh, having read the book recently. Um, Dingus, you haven't read it since you were in high school, I think you said. Uh, I, I kind of feel, Kelly Wand, do you agree... Uh, Gatsby's a terrible book to make kids in high school. Yeah, they won't get it. They, they won't get it at all. Yeah. It's a I horrible didn't. book. Yeah, then, yeah. yeah, fine. Let them read Romeo and Juliet, of course. They want them to read it, though, because it's, it's kind of a good read, and it's really short. So they go, oh, it's short, and it's a good book, so we can make them read it. But they're not going to get it. Nah, I don't think you, sh- you can read Gatsby until you're at least right. 30. Uh, but then it's really good. <laughs> then it's really good, but it's sort of like it's sort of like kids can read Catcher in the Rye, but you need to read it again when you're older to really appreciate it. I mean, a kid can resonate with Catcher in the Rye, but I don't think there's anything in Gatsby for for a kid to, to no. get into. So why the fuck are they all so dumb? Like they, none of the characters' motivations will make any sense to them. Right? right exactly. Why is it so hung up. Boys? Right. It's no old man in the sea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dingus, having not read it since high school. Uh, I want you to talk about Gatsby first. What what did you make of this Baz Luhrmann movie? Uh, I I freaking hated it because it was constantly making things literal. And even though I don't remember a damn thing about reading it, when he reaches out at the end of the dock and he says he's going to uh, – he reached out and then it shows him reaching out. I just constantly felt like it's making things literal that don't need to be literal. And then I started to feel like this movie didn't need to be made. And he was so freaking boring that I couldn't stand it. And the book's so meticulously written, like you just wrote draft after draft after draft of it. Every word's exactly there where it is for a reason. And in the movie, it's just like sledgehammers of like, it's the exact opposite of elegance and grace. And I was at least expecting like Baz Luhrmann's spectacle of twenties excess and parties, but it seemed more restrained even on that. There were a couple, I actually enjoyed the scene in the, in, uh, Tom Buchanan's mistress apartment, that party scene more than the actual big spectacular party. Once it got to the traditional Baz Luhrmann excess, uh, I, I thought it was pretty disappointing. Because he kinda doesn't like, want you to like it, I think, or something. Or like he's trying to show you, oh, see, it's bad. Like, I'm not sure. I, I I don't think I I don't think Baz Luhrmann understands. I think Baz Luhrmann is basically has an understanding of Great, Great Gatsby equivalent to a high school students. I don't yeah. think he understands the book at all. Uh, and, and But I, I want to sort of, aside from being an adaptation, I mean, I, I traditionally will say on this podcast, source material doesn't matter. You can look at a movie as its own thing. Uh, as its own thing, and this is why I wanted Dingus to go first, does Great Gatsby, the movie, work, regardless of the book? No, Dingus, I don't, I don't think so. I, I was bored out of my head for most of it, and I, di- I didn't understand... What the hell I'm supposed to take? I, I just didn't care about any of these people. And part of it is that I, I 
couldn't stand, I don't think, any of the performances. Yeah, they're all terror. Oh, I liked uh, Joel Edgerton, actually. I thought he was a good Tom Buchanan. You didn't like him? Am I in the minority on that? Uh, I didn't. I mean, he's doing some sort of weird... I, I didn't get I didn't get any of the performances. Not a one. I didn't get I, a, think, I didn't get a I single get I didn't get a single performance and Toby Maguire is horrible, I think. Yeah. And 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 if you're gonna start a movie with this this framing device of let's just imagine that I don't know the the book at all, because that's pretty much the way it is. Um and if we're gonna start this with this idea of a guy in a doctor's office and he's supposedly writing a book and that's what we're watching, you better be damn good because I don't wanna have to sit through a voiceover most of the time, unless it's really, really good, and I couldn't stand this one, and I didn't like the framing device, and I thought Toby Maguire was horrible, and Leonardo DiCaprio was the only thing worth tolerating, I thought. Uh, for Kelly Wand, I, I agree with you about Joel Edgerton. I liked him a lot in this, and I really liked the woman who played Jordan Baker, but I think why yeah. I liked them was because I thought they did a great job of realizing this image in my head of the characters in the book. Right. Like, I think that was my baggage from the book. I thought Joel Edgerton was a fantastic Tom Buchanan. Yes. And yeah. I never quite knew from reading the book what to make of Jordan, because she, she's a kind of a peripheral character, but she means a lot to the, the protagonist. She's in it more in the book, if I, I remember. I kept thinking she was Rooney Mara, but... Uh. I kept thinking she looked like a... Uh, just, and, and this is a, a huge compliment for me. She looked like a, a Kristen Scott Thomas. Yeah, that's that's a great one. Yeah, sure. Uh, but in the book, she's in it... I mean, even though you say peripheral, but I remember being in it a lot more, and, I, and he's really... He's into her for a little bit, and they have... There's more of her thing, and I always you felt know, bad for her in that book, because he kind of dumps her... She doesn't really do anything. She's she's peripheral in the sense that she's not part of the emotional core of what's sure. going on. The, the discovery about Gatsby, the, his relationship to Daisy, like like she's this other part of the protagonist's reality. And there's a lot of cool detail about her in the book, as far as her being a, a, a golfer who cheats and you know is oh, yeah, part of this. And I, I love some of that stuff oh, from what? the book. I don't remember. Well, she's a, she's a golfer, and she's got a, a sort of a checkered past because she apparently cheated during a tournament uh, once, which I think is a great detail. I love that detail. Well, that it. would make it like a professional other. golfer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, that's a great. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, but, but I liked that actress a lot, along with Joel Edgerton, because they they I thought gave this great. They, they were a realization of a character that I had in my head from the book, and they kind of aligned with that. Um, and there's where, a scene in the book where I, I was bummed that wasn't in the movie where he breaks up with her and then she calls him pissed off and goes, you really dumped me. What the fuck's up with that? He goes, she goes, I really want to see you. And he goes, I want to see you too. And then they don't see each other. I don't know. Like, there's just more fallout. Well, this, there's a lot of stuff from the book that feels like it's there because Boz Lerman thought it was important but didn't know what to do sure. with it. Uh, yeah, and for, for visual stuff. Um and a lot of that just bounced off me, like the T.J. Eckelberg sign over the ash heaps. None of it's subtle. It's just like, <sighs> right, exactly. it. there it is again. Get it's, it? It's the sort of thing George Lucas could have done, yeah. basically. Uh, oh, my. But, wow. But what really drives me, so even as a as a standalone movie, I just I, I feel like the, the characters' motivations were so spotty, and it didn't fit together well. Uh, and even like you said, Kelly Wan, visually... It just seems gratuitous. It didn't feel Baz Luhrmann-y enough compared to the trailer. The trailer that was just going to be this epic poem. Oh, I saw the trailer. Um, I will always have the trailer at least. You know, that's that's we've got that going. Well, um, you- go ahead. Sorry. 
Well, but, but my big problem with it is I feel Boz Lerman doesn't understand the point of the book. Boz Lerman made this story about a, a character, Gatsby, and, and his idea in the movie is that Gatsby is uh, he epitomizes hope and optimism and how love can can triumph over everything. And even though Gatsby dies, you know, the the, the uh, protagonist, the narrator, admires him and learns from him hope and how to live. And by recounting the story of Gatsby, he, he recovers his own vitality. Um, the, the book is absolutely not that. The book is this incredibly beautiful, sad, poignant, empty, devastatingly existential story about a man chasing something that doesn't exist, that he can't have, an empty ideal. Uh, and Gatsby, the great Gatsby, is a, it's a freaking ironic title. There's right. nothing great about him. And there's a line in the book that, that Boz Lerman rightly thought, I should put this in the movie, but he didn't understand it. And it's the last thing the protagonist says to Gatsby when he's leaving him that morning, he says to Gatsby, as he's walking away, he turns and he says to Gatsby, speaking of all the other characters in the book, Tom Buchanan, Daisy, Jordan, uh, Owl Eyes, you know, all the people at Gatsby's party, uh, Jason Clark, uh, or uh, uh, I forget what his name is, Wilson, Myrtle Wilson, and it, uh, speaking of all the other characters in the book, he says to Gatsby, they're a rotten crowd, you are better than a lot of them put together. And when Tobey Maguire says that to Leonardo DiCaprio, he's serious. He means it. But in the book, when Nick Carraway says that to Gatsby, he immediately, the immediate next line is, he said it to make him feel better because, quote, Gatsby was to him a disappointment from beginning to end. No, <laughs> good that's Lord. in the book. And he said, he said it to make him feel better, but Gatsby was a so disappointment. Lerman edits it. So, so Lerman thinks this, this is a movie about Gatsby as this beacon of hope and optimism and, and love triumphing. Um, but that, that's... Because uh, it's and, DiCaprio, and he has to be something. Well, and that's the thing, too, is the, awesome, the scene in the hotel room where everything comes to a head, in the book... First of all, in the book, none of them even get around to drinking. That whole there's a there's a prop <laughs> that 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 Boss Lerman uses. They bring along a bottle of whiskey wrapped in a towel. Tom Buchanan carries it along. Nobody cracks the the bottle of whiskey. Nobody even gets around to drinking. And in the movie, Boss Lerman wants that whole ice pick scene, and that's from the book because a waiter brings up ice because they're going to have mint juleps, but they never get around to them. That scene in the book, everybody's straight up sober, and and furthermore. There is. It seems like Boz Lerman wanted Leonardo DiCaprio to do his trademark explosion. You know, he's going to punch uh, Tom Buchanan, and it's just passionate. Now, I remember seeing that in the trailer and thinking, that's so not Gatsby-like, but, right. but okay, whatever. We'll, we'll Movie. go with that. He just wants and, to punch him until his arm goes weak. Well, in, in, the, in the book... Um, uh, w during that scene, uh, I think the most dramatic that Gatsby gets is as he's being defensive about uh, how he made his fortune. Uh, I think uh, Fitzgerald writes that he, he spoke excitedly. You know, that, that's as, as dramatic yeah. as it gets with Gatsby. And furthermore, one of the rumors about Gatsby was that uh, some people thought he had killed a man. So in that scene, Nick Carraway sees Gatsby being accused of this shady business from Tom Buchanan, and Nick Carraway says in the book that he realized that Gatsby at that point looked like maybe he had, and, and Fitzgerald writes in quotes, killed a man. 
meaning that Gatsby looks guilty, like he had done something that he was hiding and should be ashamed of. That's the point, that, that Gatsby has this sense of sort of shame and wanting to hide something in the scene. But what Boz Lerman takes away from that is that Gatsby looks like he's killed a man in that he's so violent and passionate and dramatic oh, that he could murder at that point. Um I mean, I just feel like Boz Lerman has basically turned in the equivalent of a high school student's paper on The Great Gatsby and completely missed the point of the... Yeah, C-minus. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, All wrong. uh, I I think that's why Joel Edgerton constantly looks like he's reading a high school kid's paper when he's around these other people. He's misreading it. Who are these characters with me here? He, He seems like a character from some other movie. When he's when he's having to act with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire, but Tom Buchanan is I mean he he is a clueless character and and I love how they do bring up that stuff and he talks about reading books about the blacks taking over and how the sun is closer to the earth oh wait I think it's farther from the earth uh, he's he's really a clueless character and there's a lot of bluster about him and um and that's I, how he is in the book isn't it right and in the movie that's exactly what yeah. I, uh, so I liked that realization of a character, but and I even kind of was okay with Carrie Mulligan. Um, sure, just because but she's. she's I, yeah, when she, I read the book, I thought Daisy's a total cunt, <laughs> and then <laughs> Carrie Mulligan, I go, she's and she cries a lot. Did she do that in the book? I could remember Tom. You read this more recently than me. Uh, no, no. I mean, she's part of the rotten crowd. I mean, she clearly betrays Gatsby. She doesn't. Uh, she's not going to leave her husband. Uh, no, she, she's absolutely not. She, she's part of the rotten crowd. But they play her up as like, oh, yeah, of course you'd go through all that for her. And, oh, look, it's a great love story. <laughs> it's not a great love story. Yeah, it's not at all. It's and the opposite. Boz, you know, I mean, it's Boz Lerman wanting to, thinking, oh, this will be another Romeo and Juliet. Like, thinking that it's a, it's another thing about how awesome love, young love is. And, uh, yeah. Well, even in that, it ends wretchedly. But in this, it's not even love. Right. Gatsby's, in, Gatsby's deluded, and she's a bitch. But, re- but regardless, the filmmaking actually pisses me off. I mean, the, the music, the, that pisses me off. That he just thinks that he's going to throw a bunch of music choices in and make it edgy, and none of them seem contextual or worthy. I don't understand what the hell he's doing. He, he does it all the time, but this time I didn't think it worked. No, I don't think it works at all. He usually it's, he's done it before success. Like Moulin Rouge, I thought it did work. I'm a Moulin Rouge apologist, I think. Uh, there's stuff in Moulin Rouge that works. I tried to watch it again, but good God, uh, oh, I, like I it forgot way. how much of that really grates. I mean, Aha, really, see, Dingus, see. It's really grating. But I the, remember you not liking it. The choices in this just feel like I'm going to license a bunch of hip-hop and throw it in there, and you're going to think it's cool. Uh, when, you know, I quite frankly, I'd rather watch Marie Antoinette. Ew, what? <laughs> that was a he left means, turn I wasn't expecting. He, Kelly, like, Kelly, drive Kelly. like a daisy. He means Wait, the what? movie, not the actual queen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh... Really? Yeah, you're sure. <laughs> no one wants to hear more. Right. Welcome to part two of this week's quarter to three movie well, podcast. That movie that people who listen to the podcast probably would care more about. Yeah, exactly, right. Uh, we know this is what you're really here for. Uh, as before, I am still Tom Chick, and I'm still here with uh, Christian Malinsky. 
Uh, it's again perfect here. What are you doing? Tiberius perfect here, actually. <laughs> and with a Star Trek Into Darkness tagline, Kelly Wand. Oh, so that's why he's called Scotty. Like Porkins. <laughs> what? See, because Porkins is fat, but he has a last name that. Oh, Scottish, right, right. Scotty's right, Scottish, but his name's Scott. That Gene Roddenberry was really a pioneer <laughs> in naming characters. See, Admiral Ipar's from Calamari, so the name of the planet. And Han Solo only works alone. He works alone. Chewbacca with him. Right. And Luke walks across the sky. He doesn't kill the stars. <laughs> and really. Princess Leia is a princess. She gets laid. <laughs> and and she rocket chews his fur. And see, 3 POC. All right, Dingus, what else did we see this week? <laughs> this week we also saw Star Trek. Oh, wait, sorry. Star Trek into Darkness. Star, star, star into Trekness. Star colon Trek into Darkness. A 2013 science fiction action reboot sequel movie about the morality of drone warfare. (laughs) (laughs) Dingus wins. Don't let me. It was it was directed by J.J. Abrams and written by Roberto Orsi, Alex Kurtzman, and Damon Lindelof. Ah, God! Ah. <laughs> Based on a television series by Gene Roddenberry. Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> it stars Chris Pine, Bruce Greenwood, Zachary Quinto, Alice Eve, Carl Urban, <laughs> Zoe Soldana, and Benedict Cumberbatch. It's a very handsome cast. Star. Trek into Darkness is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi action and violence, but no partying. You know what? I disagree. There was partying. Yeah. There was definite partying with cat girls. Yeah, yeah with yeah, Zanavi. Zanavi showed up. Oh, oh dadgummit, Dingus, you made that seem a lot less sexy now. Great. I was so sexy when it was two seconds long, and... I thought Zoe Saldana would have made that an obvious joke. Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness opened at $70 million, uh, on Metacritic, which uh, averages the rating from various reviews. It's at 73. Did it I'm displace not- Iron Man, Tom? N- uh, yes, it, it beat Iron Man. Iron Man made half of that uh, in its oh. opening. Uh, so, yeah, it's a number one opening. No big surprise there. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, Star Trek Into Darkness is at 87 Percent. All right. You know what? Fuck this. Right. Each. <laughs> Kelly Wand, give us a star tropsis. Wait, what was the other word number? Uh, let's see. Opened at 70 million. Metacritic, 73. 73. Rotten Tomatoes, 87. 87%. So all sevens. It's a lucky streak. Yep. What was the other word number? <laughs> That's Tom's response. What was the. Uh, what was Sorry. the question? I don't know. So, Kelly Wand, uh, how about a Star Trek into Darkopsis? I just went with Star Trek into Opsis. Yes, I like that. Drive it like you stole it. That's your very good friend. Star Trek into Darkness. A little going away party last night. Kirk asked. All right. Star Trek into Opsis. Kirk and Spock are running from dudes in whiteface through some CG. Spock's all... 
Captain, your plan of giving cannibals their ceremonial Raiders opening ripoff a red paintball. (laughs) (laughs) That bodes well. You guys are going to like this one. (laughs) Captain, your plan of giving cannibals their ceremonial Raiders opening ripoff a red paintball the size of that gas tank from Event Horizon was ill-advised. Kirk saw, hey, you said we had to blow up a volcano. Besides, check this shit. Set phasers to papyrus. <laughs> he shoots a cuneiform scroll under the vines, which the cannibals all stop to kneel before and worship for a couple seconds before chasing them again. What the hell was with that? Spock's all, sir, our mission was inexplicably to park our starship underwater, which I guess the aborigines didn't notice. The better to survey a devastating volcanic eruption on the mainland. Speaking of which, you know we can just beam people planet side, no need to park at the bottom of oceans anymore. Right? <laughs> technology is better than parking under oceans with spaceships. <laughs> just saying. Kirk's all, damn your half Vulcan quarter logic. Just remember you're still four eights dumb, and I'm the captain, because I ingeniously manipulated you for a couple seconds at one time. They jump over a cliff into the ocean, and Kirk lands in the captain's chair. But Scotty <laughs> accidentally beams Spock at the erupting volcano. <laughs> Scotty's all, Captain, I don't have the power or the inclination to save Spock and tell you this. We just have to mourn him. <laughs> what what country is Scotty from, Kelly Warren? Uh, he's from Ireland. Irishans. <laughs> South Africa. Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> He's not. He's Kirk's all. Hit a button now! Scotty's all. But, sir, the rules! Kirk's all. Fuck rules! Except captain's orders if the captain's me. Scotty button mashes and sledgehammers his printer cable and goes, Sir, I didn't can a can of dinner! His arms are too close to his body! But just as the lava swoops down, Spock nobly spreads his arms, a la platoon. Scotty starts to bitch again, but then Lindelof drives Zachary Quinto onto the set. A golf cart beeps. <laughs> the bald white dubes gibber at the surfacing Enterprise, a la Prometheus. Then draw a dorsal top-down view of it in the sand, even though they only saw the bottom. <laughs> Spock gets in an elevator with Zoe Saldana. She's all, you almost die constantly, but this time I'm annoyed. Those two green dicks here ain't getting this shit tonight. What? Wow. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Holy cats! It's not as racist as the Vulcan accent. <laughs> Holy cats! It's in the running, though. That's all. You wanting to have sex with me in the first place was highly illogical. We're not even the same species. She gives him the double V with her hand, then lowers three fingers. Uh, meanwhile. <laughs> it's not racist, I'm making her awesome. Meanwhile, in New in San New Crisco, a a black. I thought this was the worst one, and I like it. Meanwhile, in San New Crisco, a black dude's bum because his daughter's bored. That's what I saw. I don't know what movie you guys are talking about. Benedict Cumberdink steps onto his balcony and goes, "I can save her." But you'll have to blow up a million people so I can shoot helicopter guns at four. <laughs> the black guy's all, who are you? That's his first question. Not, wait, how are you? 
little side. Benedict Cumberdink smiles evilly. Ominous music plays for ten seconds. Then he goes, and my last names. They wait some more while more music. <laughs> he and the black guy look at us apologetically while Lindelof's three-year-old mashes piano. <laughs> Take 87%. You're all idiots. The black guy goes to his job at the UN and drops his Super Bowl ring made out of nitroglycerin into his Alka-Seltzer. Just as his wife rolls a wheelchair up over his shoulder and goes, Hey, honey, look, our daughter's all... Boom. And they all fire. Kurt gets fired for saving Spock and the cannibals, then promoted to conference room attendee. He watches a YouTube video of a random street near the explosion for two seconds and goes, Hey, this guy's carrying a satchel. He did it. And now he's probably on his way here in a helicopter without missiles. Get down! (laughs) (laughs) Benedict Humperdinck shoots up the place in a blue thunder, but Kurt tricks him by dodging and protecting his face with his arm. He is the future. Bruce Greenwood's all, Yes, loose. One father figure per movie, Jim. It's me, you'll fuck Robocop's daughter with McCoy. Save me. Super blood. Later. I'll just play General in Star Wars sub. Made some retiree extras that finesse and intelligence will be required to track down Humperdinck, but since all of the best guys are dead now, they assign it to him. He wanders around a hangar to get ready, while McCoy puts a stethoscope onto his earlobe and goes, Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor in this one, not a judge. According to these readings, your characterization's all over the map. Scotty's all, Sir, I suddenly disapprove of torpedoes. <laughs> and violence against terrorists and Klingons. Do you accept my resignation? That yeah. impression's fine. Kirk's all, fuck yeah. Hey, Chekhov, you just got promoted. Accent, accent. Now put on a red shirt. And don't worry, they're good luck charms. Hey, what's this? Chekhov's phaser. Get it? Scotty bats his lovably R2 side C3PO in the mandibles and goes, Come on, Shalala, you're quitting too. Chekhov frowns at the Warbur. <laughs> Chekhov frowns at the Warbur. Warbur. Never. National mistake. Check out friends at the wardrobe check. Wapton. I don't get the shirt colors. I'm the same rank as Scotty. Sulu is the same as you and the hooker from Borat. McCoy is the same as Spock. Is that why they're always arguing? Kirk's up. Just put it on. It fit all right? Cool. Okay, now take it off. And that goes for the rest of you. Our mission is to apprehend a guy who blew up a bunch of people and bring him to stand trial for justice, which means it's illegal. And Starfleet can't be linked to this op in any way. So everybody strip. I'll be wearing this fur-lined parka since there's no oxygen. <laughs> the item my least all. Oh, I'll be a new science officer. That's not Australia. It's British, by the way. In case. They fly to the planet Ghost Town 3. Sulu leaves a voicemail for some Klingons. Listen up, planet. I have 70 torpedoes full of cryogenic people, so do not respond to this message. <laughs> Leave some voicemail for some cops. <laughs> 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 all ten glitch drugs. Prep. So I know all the, lar- all the Largan. 
Uh, <laughs> I study, uh, God, Jesus. <laughs> Gatsby was hard, and I have nothing left. Listen up, plant. I have 70 torpedoes full of cryogenic people, so do not respond to this message. Spock's all, whoa, remind me never to piss you off, although that my character would say this in a thousand years is highly illogical. On the dropship on the way down, instead of discussing tactics, Spock and Uhura discussed their relationship. And Kirk's all, yeah, you guys, now check this shit. He flies around arbitrarily, antagonizes the Klingons, almost kills them, flying sideways through a Death Star trench. Then, told you we'd fit in there, Spock, suck it. It's not qualified. Kirk saw whatever Martian, thanks to my piloting ability, we lost him. Gradually notices they're surrounded. He's all, ugh. <laughs> much of this is surprisingly in the movie. <laughs> Kirk, let's go, yeah, get him, Kirk. I mean, Kirk's surrounded. Uh, guess they made better time by going around the crevice, huh, guys? Uhura, how's your Klingon? She's all shitty, but awesome. Probably lamer than Spock's, though, since he's related to them and smarter. Why? He's all, cool, go out there and talk to him. Tell them we're sorry we killed a few of them, but our Asian guy is going to blow us all up unless they give us Benedict Humperdinck. If they start any shit and unsheathe knives, I'll try to come up with the backup plan. She's all, uh... He's all, quit questioning my love for you assholes. Now get out there and hike that skirt up. Actually, I got a better idea. Here's some guns. Including Chekhov's. Get it? She's all, relax, sir. I think I'm the female lead. I can... I can't even do less than Sulu in this movie, can I? <laughs> she goes out, and within two sentences, the Klingons are laughing at her and start to stab her to death. <laughs> Thanks, Lindelof. But luckily, Benedict Humperdinck shows up and tricks the Klingons by standing on a mound of CG and shooting them. <laughs> he surrenders to Kirk, who responds by punching him in the face for ten minutes. Now it's bizarre. Brave. Then incarcerates him aboard the Enterprise behind some fiberglass with a hole in it so he can stick his arm through because he's super dangerous. He and Kirk share some tears. Then Kirk calls Scotty and goes, Hey, I know I fired you for mistaking torpedoes with cryogenic Nazis in them for super weapons, and I know you're in a bar right now pretending to be drunk with that dwarf sidekick. I- <laughs> but I need you to cruise to Jupiter real quick and look around just for anything. No. Fuck you. Small planet. Shouldn't take long. Okay. <laughs> the Scottish accent. Meanwhile, they send their physician down to yet another featureless planet to defuse a warhead. Coy's, damn it, Jim, when I said I'd need only one hand free while ogling this blonde chick and it'll all be over in 30 seconds, this isn't what I had in mind. <laughs> then he smirks at the blonde chick and goes, damn it, blonde chick, let me feel up your missile. She's all, that double entendre might make sense if I were a bloke. Is that? Anyway, Robocop comes after them in a bigger enterprise and pulverizes them a few times, so Chekhov can say the usual Scotty lines about how her hit will kill him a bunch of times. Scott's webcam rings. Nimoy comes on TV and goes, sorry to get back to you sooner, but Lindelof is running late. Traffic on Witcher. Spock's, hey, in the 80s, did you guys ever fight this dude named Khan? Nimoy's all, let me think, whales, row, row, row your boat. Oh, yeah, the guy with skin, like fine Corinthian leather. New Spock's all, no, our guy's pale and kind of a dick to everybody. But Kirk keeps handing him the keys to the ship. Guess he relates. Nimoy's all, in some ways, our universes are identical. 
new Spock, Saul. Anyway, it probably wouldn't better for my character and the story if I'd figured shit out on my own. How'd you beat him? Results in clouds and a fake death averted by bullshit Deus Ex Machina. New Spock, Saul. Awesome. See you in three. Since they're out of torpedoes, <laughs> Kirk and Kaepernick decide their best chance to take out Robocop's flagship is to get in spacesuits and launch themselves at it. <laughs> Red asteroid field. Because <laughs> they have the tubes still. They just use themselves. Torpedoes. As they're hurtling, Scotty calls Kirk and goes, Hey, I found some... Oh, fucking God. <laughs> Somehow found and managed to get aboard Robocop ship without being detected. Need anything? He hears a foot tapping, arms folding, and turns around to see a Sterling Hayden-looking security guy scowling down at him. <laughs> that dude's all, all right, wise guy, what's that in your other hand? And who's that on the communicator you just dropped? He keeps telling you to suck me out into space in ten seconds. What's up with that? Are you sure you're on the legit? Scotty's all, ugh. He hits a bunch of buttons as his pants fall down, and then his underwear. Chekhov's all, Wapton, you have t- <laughs> you have WG coming right at your face. Constantly, but especially in 12 seconds, and then again in 28 seconds. You may need to use rocket smoke to wadge out of the day. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> security guy's all, well, Scotty's all, uh and keeps flipping the comical business breaker over and over. Humperdinck tricks Kirk, breaking the blonde chick's leg, then Spock tricks Humperdinck by blowing up his shit. Tom for me to down. Kirk gets out of Lindelof's golf cart on board the Enterprise and goes, Wow, Spock, that was awesome. Correctly guessing he'd beat me back aboard instead of crushing my skull like he did to Robocop. Huh, bro? Spock's all, yeah, I knew that. I need to totally do it. Highly <laughs> Lindelogical. Highly Lindelogical. Highly Lindelogical. Kirk saves the day by using his piloting ability and tactical acumen to punch Scotty in the face, kick a piece of metal, and die of radiation poisoning. Beforehand, he coughs a Did we get him, Spock? Yet yeah, we got him. The bugler, he's going to pull through. Yes, Jim, bugler's fine. Tell the blonde chick I said she has the pointiest. Spock's all. Lindelof! <laughs> Our heroes save the day by Pumperdink plowing his shit through the city, killing millions. He gets on a flying garbage truck, then into an inconclusive fistfight with Spock. Then Uhura shoots him 68 times. The second funniest number, Tom. Though the neck pinch was more effective, more effective, <laughs> Spock starts beating him to death with his fists, which is more effective. Uhura is all, Spock, this guy's 300... I don't want to do the black chick. <laughs> Just pretend this is black chick. Dick. Chick. Spock, this guy's oh, 300-year-old super blood that our supposedly bent civilization somehow lost all knowledge of is our only chance of bringing a beloved captain back to life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that all right? It's not too bad. <laughs> Assuming, he has the exact, oh, Assuming he has the exact same biochemistry as a Tribble. <laughs> Actually, pretty sure Abrams and Lindelof learned all they know about science off of C-3PO's cereal box, the front of it, not the side with the ingredients and the map. 
guess that's why they're in charge of every science fiction franchise. I mean, I love you again because you said that thing on the shuttle about what an emotional wreck you are deep down. I mean, Dr. McCoy somehow knows that the midichlorians will resurrect Kirk, but only if Khan's still alive. Spock looks at her gravely, then starts hitting Khan even harder. Kirk wakes up in a hospital bed, begins flirting with his bedpan. McCoy's all, damn it, Jim, look at this white kimono. Nice work kicking that piece of metal. It's how I fix the blonde chick's leg. He he pulls a curtain sash to reveal Spock. Spock saw, well, Captain, the few surviving taxpayers were so grateful they fixed our ship and assigned us to wander the universe for five years and do nothing. Which I thought based on the volcano shenanigans we were already doing, but I suppose that's why I'm just a science officer. Also, I guess we're not at war with the Klingons after all. Kirk saw, nope, and since you're not dead and whales already extinct in RL... Bring my chair in here and set warp speed for Yosemite. All right. <clears throat> Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, I saw it with Dingus. Oh. Dingus, I want you to go first because I feel bad because uh, I know you really like this movie. Uh, Kelly, when I saw it with Dingus, he was like really vocal about certain things. Like he would go, something would happen and Dingus would go, Nice. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, that's well, what I said. Nice. Say, like, yeah, yeah, go yes. boy. Yes. Or yeah, he boys referring to another movie. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Stuff like that. So I know Wait. Dingus I know Dingus was really into it, and I feel bad for how much I hated it. I feel really bad. I was when the when Kirk's doing coughing and right. I, the whole audience around me was just like spellbound and silent, and I so had Shimmers from going, They're gonna use the super blood. Have you been <laughs> You Lindelof smarter than you? Fuck! I'm so irritated. That the- All right, so so Dingus, get in here. You obviously were into this movie. I think you've got that uh, on uh, me and Kelly Wanda. I presume we're not into it. So Dingus, you get in here first. Explain why you were so enamored of Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, I loved it so much. Oh, good lord, I loved it so much. Yeah, of course you Kelly see Wanda. that the super blood is coming. Come on. How can you not see that's coming? Are you a Trek uh, fan? Are you like a Trek Trekker something? A Trek Trekker? I'm not a Trek Trekker. No. All right. uh, but I do love me some Trek movies, and I did not have any idea because uh, I had not seen any trailers whatsoever that that uh, that Mr. Cumberbatch was going to show up and talk about Khan. I had no idea that it was going to just uh, play around with all of that mythology and goof around with so many of those things um i i got most of those little references and and got the whole carol marcus and uh con and all that silly it's stuff. all references it's all throwbacks it's wait what do you nostalgia. mean the, what do you mean you got the whole carol marcus what's the thing with her oh, well she's the one that he has a kid with that the kid shows up in the, I know uh, his yeah. wife to be that kill and the blonde guy who dies on uh, the thing. Yeah, the the guy from the Blue Lagoon, but not really the Blue Lagoon. Um, see, yeah, I didn't think Kirk loses his kid in that one. Yeah, he trades for his son. That's kind of see nothing in this movie. Oh, go on. I'm sorry. Continue. Right. Your, I, I, I didn't realize she was a nod to the yeah, movies, though. I just thought I just thought it was like an attractive. I mean, she looked like she could be on Lost. I just thought it was like, hey, let's get this attractive actress in here. But I didn't realize it was a nod to the earlier movies. So. Yeah. Everything. Instead of coming up with something creatively awesome, they just do homage to this movie 30 years ago that we saw. 
No, and I think that is a weak point. I, I don't think you need to remake and tinker with Khan, uh, with Wrath of Khan, and, and do, like, uh, a reversal of the death scene and all those silly things that they do. I think that's that's an utter, an utter weak point. You can't figure out a new storyline. You really can't figure out that... Uh, a way to make this villain somebody other than Khan. I mean, that's a huge weak point. But they're just calling him Khan too. Like, okay, like there's no reason to call him that except the other movie. Well, they're they're creating this Superman, which is a nod to the earlier thing. And and why, if you're going to do that, why not just admit that that's what you're doing? And that's fine. Was uh, that part of the original Khan? Like, was Ricardo Montalban? Super, super like, resistant to damage and stuff. Is he from the past? The same guy. He's a he's a super genetic or uh, super genetic being, and he's from a previous time. Like he's like a he was like a military creation, like this oh, kind of Wolverine we... from earlier See. times. Absolutely, yeah. It was oh, the same I didn't thing. know that. And his, okay. and his crew was was marooned. I mean, all that stuff is the same. Oh. stuff. It's 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 all retread. The whole thing is retread, but they they kind of play around with it. And I'm really disappointed that that's the way they decided to go with that because I can't believe that there aren't writers out there that could have thought of a new plot rather than just retreading Wrath of Khan and the uh, the Botany Bay stuff. Uh, that said, I think the execution is freaking wonderful. I love this movie so much. I love the way it's put together. I love the music. I love the performances. I think it's wonderful. And Tom's right. I was giddy as I watched it. I was on the edge of my seat, exclaiming, I don't think I was saying nice, like some idiot frat boy, but I was going, good. <laughs> you definitely were vocalizing your delight, Dingus. I don't know if it was technically saying nice. But what was there were a few times that I was like, "Oh, geez, Dingus is really enjoying this." I feel what bad. The, I want. See, I'm. Je- this is what happened with the Bolivians. Like, I wanted to feel. I wanted to be going. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. I was but I, this whole t- the whole the whole movie. I was on. I was. I would literally sit up on the edge of my seat. Yeah. Uh, and just be so excited about different things that would happen. I thought it was wonderful. I was crazy about it. Tell you what, he freaking had ants in his pants. Like he would not sit still. It was it was like it was like taking a little kid to a movie. I mean, he basically could have gotten up and, and run up and down the aisles, going, "Woo, this is awesome!" Uh, I, I almost expected he didn't that. do that during Iron Man. Like Iron Man's better than this. Movie. But see, I was doing that too. Iron Man is the thing. Like we were both doing that in Iron Man. Yeah, but at that side is. He drank the Kool Aid. I think. Well, I, I think that Dingus, you're you're just you're, the acting is great, and, and and Dingus, I disagree. Dingus is, I, I, disagree. I, I hated all the performances. I I have never before not liked something Benedict Cumberbatch has done. I didn't like him in this. I don't I don't think I really liked anyone in this. Writing though, he's just he has to say what they get him. Well, that, and that's a, a lot of it for me. Is I just felt like. Yeah, like I, I wasn't I writing. I didn't care about the the acting. Um, but I think Dingus, your your deal is you're just you're you're the kind of guy who you like respond to this stuff. I mean, you like the movies. You like the last movie a lot. Um, you're Dingus. You're a Trekkie. No, yeah, but they're not even yeah. like Star Trek movies. They're like different from the old ones, I think. Because Dingus is a neo Trekkie. Here's my thing. I'm a science fiction snob because I read like. Foundation, Jack Vance, Last First Man, and like books and stuff. And so oh, when I listen, you love the Ender's. You love Ender's Game, don't you? Ember's, Ender's Game's overrated, I think, and it's got a shaggy. Uh, never mind, spoiler. We'll talk about. Uh, did you see the trailer for it? No. Oh. Uh, well, anyway, so when I listen to people talk about somberly about Star Trek, like people way smarter than me, like these fucking engineers, and they talk about it like it's Proust, it just feels like I'm listening to anthropologists like fap over the Flintstones, like it's. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> much simpler. It just Star Trek's so simple-minded. It's juvenile. Like, it's just not as deep. Like, all the good ideas are in the books, like science fiction books, like stuff I've read. But- I, I feel like, uh, and th- this, is a, this is a bit of a chestnut, but uh, I, I was aware of it watching this movie. A lot of Star Trek is, um, like, tech-based or doodad-based drama. Yeah, um, you know it's Kirk having to realign housings. Uh, you know it's uh, and then from the TV shows, they're constantly Scotty's rewiring dilithium crystals or, or or something like that. Um, you know the uh, it's doodad based. It's uh, it's is Kirk going to be able to steer thirty two point seven degrees to the left to miss the asteroid and hit that little airlock shot. Um, yeah. And it's not, uh, you know, I think of Dark Knight as the contrast where the drama comes from characters making choices. And here they try to do that. I mean, I could see. Good enough. Writing. They, they're, they're trying to do that with stuff like, you know, the Kirk's obligation to the chair and the, his, his responsibility to the, the crew. And they're trying to parallel that to Khan. Um, but for me, it all comes down to, you know, oh, he's got to kick a piece of metal right. into another piece of metal. You know, that's, that's his lesson. That's what he's learned. Yeah, but but you know I can see Lindelof and J.J. Abrams trying to make it this idea about you know Kirk being willing to sacrifice himself for his crew, and and I'm not clear on this, but for some reason when Robert Downey Jr. does that at the end of the Avengers, and Kelly Wand, you're going to laugh at me here, when 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 Iron Man, when Tony Stark embraces this idea of self-sacrifice for something bigger at the end of the Avengers. <laughs> I found that enormously stirring and very effective. Um, but, but it was a fake. He didn't. Say it was a fake, right? I agree, and I, I feel it's manipulative and it's uh, it, it's fairly facile. But but I feel Joss Whedon pulled it off in a very different way than J.J. Abrams and Lindelof in the Star Trek movie. And I'm not clear why it works for me in Iron Man, but it doesn't work for me as the dramatic culmination of the Star Trek movie. Um, so I can I can understand why Dingus must have been thrilled at that, and, and that would have been a cool character development. But for whatever reason, it just bounces off of me completely in Star Trek. But he Dingus, doesn't die. It's just the difference between filmmaking now and back in well, But you know what? Neither does Iron Man. He comes back, he's fine. Yeah, fighting. exactly. Know, that's why I like it either. Help me out. Dingus, <laughs> you I want don't you to what a great out. what a great development that is between this movie and The Wrath of Khan. Well, here's another thing. I have to say another thing is I don't remember the original Wrath of Khan very well. I don't have for you that you dig us your quote. You quote lines from it and stuff. I don't have those earlier movies as a as an accessible touchstone for me. Um, well, so, so early, I, early in this movie, when you hear him say um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs, I mean, I, I was kind of like groaning a little bit. Really, you're going to roll that out? I didn't know because I, I hadn't watched so. any trailers that what I was going to be watching was a con sort of uh, not retread. Retread is part of it, but a reimagining, or we're going to re, we're going to go back over this. And so, seeing Kirk make the decision that that Spock makes is a, is kind of a neat little revelation. It's 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 an it's a neat mirror, especially when you think of the way and having watched the first reboot movie again, especially when you think of the way the the timelines are kind of 
how the how the reboot goofs with timelines, and that's one of the things I think is is wonderful about what J.J. Abrams is doing with rebooting the series is playing around with the fact that Spock has two different timelines that he's going with, and we're going to tap into him as a resource, and we're going to also play with the idea that the original movie is an alternate universe, and I really like the idea of Kirk doing the thing that Spock did before because it makes it it's I think more poignant when Kirk does it. It, this time around because of the way not only the way Chris Pine is playing the character but just who the character is this time. I mean, it's right. just it's. I really, really grooved on it. Kelly Wan, how much of it do you think is the fact that you and I have suffered through, what is it, seven seasons of Lost? And that's yeah. something that Dingus never had to sit through. So when I'm watching this as 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 something obvious comes up and as characters give each other meaningful looks mm-hmm. and one of them starts to cry and that Michael Giacchino score starts to swell, <laughs> uh, I can't help but think, oh, for fuck's sake, I saw this and lost 20 times. Yeah. And here it is again. And the Raiders I, opening. It's like nostalgia's Abrams crutch. And his action's okay, but it's so many orders below Matt Spielberg's magazine. It's like... If you're cribbing for Raiders. So, he's so clearly hot. messing around with Raiders there. He's not doing a Raiders opening. He's starting in the you middle shouldn't of the do that unless you're going to improve on of it. that. And he's, he's fucking around. I have no idea why, why Kirk is even in that village. That makes absolutely no sense. He's just playing around with you. But regardless with, you know, what, what he's doing a nod to and, and, and the action stuff I'm okay with, just the fact that so much of it is so obvious to me. Yeah. It feels like what he did in Lost. And, and Dingus, you made this awesome observation about, uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in, in Iron Man 3 and about, they, they introduced this idea of him suffering this PTSD uh, after effect, the fallout from the Avengers movie, and how Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, the text of it, is all this kind of Shane Black jokiness. But the subtext, and what Robert Downey Jr. does with his performance, is he's cutting against that. You know, his, him being jokey is cutting against the pain, and there's this great sort of contrapunctual between uh, text and subtext. And um, and, and that, to me, I, I, I feel that in Iron Man, and that's part of why that kind of facile comic book stuff comes alive for me, and I can really appreciate it in the Iron Man movie. I don't feel that J.J. Abrams and, and Lindelof or any of the actors in Star Trek has any appreciation for that kind of distinction or that kind of subtlety. It, 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 it seems to me all so glib and obvious, and all the emotional moments are so heavy and so telegraphed, and I constantly was watching the movie thinking of Kelly Wan's line about, I agree with the music. You know, it seemed like the music was telegraphing stuff. Even the point where Kirk kicks the housing back into alignment before he actually delivers the kick. The music lets us know that he's about to do it. (laughs) The next kick will be the successful one. The music is one step ahead of us. And I, I just feel like... And it partly comes from being so disgusted with so many seasons of Lost. It just feels like... Abrams and Lindelof are just such awful storytellers when it comes to to character development and character moments. And he wants so many of these. I mean, that's what Star Trek, that's what this Star Trek, I think, really wants to be. Early on, when Spock is about to leave the shuttle and go down into the volcano, they allow a moment where Zoe Saldana can look at him. And there's no dialogue. She just gives him a look. And it's a, it's a great opportunity for, hey, look, we're, we're just going to show character. We're going to show how she feels about him. There's no dialogue. It's just a look. And I loved that moment. 
but they then proceeded to do it 120 more times yeah. in the, the movie. <laughs> and it just felt like so much and so obvious. And there was another look that I really liked. Well, there were a couple of them that worked, but for everyone that worked, there were like 20 that didn't. And that just you know, drove me so crazy. You know, this movie is just balanced differently, though, and I think it's well-balanced. I think it's just a different... From what? Balanced differently from what? From what Tom is talking about with this this sort of Iron Man Avengers thing that he's trying to make an analogy toward. Um, The Star Trek universe is different than that universe, and I think it's well-balanced for what they're doing. And And I actually really, really appreciate the weight of this particular world that J.J. Abrams creates, uh, as opposed to other Star Trek movies. But as far as balance is concerned, I would point to that scene where uh, where Kirk and Spock are talking about the morality of what they're about to do, while Bones is doing this medical exam from the seat behind him. And, you know, they're talking about, they're going through this whole, basically that whole idea of, what we're going to do with these torpedoes, this drone warfare idea, is right. immoral, Jim. And meanwhile, uh, Bones is putting <laughs> something on Jim's face, and Jim is saying, Bones, take that thing off my face. Th- this is much sillier than the world that you're talking about, Tom. I mean, Star Trek is sillier. I mean, it it also pretends to a deeper morality because of the Prime Directive and all, all the things that the Prime yeah, Directive okay. stands for. But it's a silly. I think it's a sillier world than the one you're talking about, and I think that J.J. Abrams strikes that balance admirably. It's not. I don't think it's as good, obviously, as the Avengers or or what you're going for with Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man. I don't think anybody is as good as that, other than Zachary Quinto, who I think is awesome. Um, I just don't. I think it's a different. It's a different weight, and for what it does, I think the this 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 particular movie is balanced appropriately and weighted much better than other Star Trek movies. Things I I I hear what you're saying, but where you see balance, I see schizophrenia. You know that scene with Bones sticking the little tri. It's I think that's tricorder. a good proverb. <laughs> well, that that scene with Bones. I mean, it's a perfect example. I love the joke of Bones being comic relief kind of and sticking that thing on Kirk and and wanting to do the medical exam. I like that. I also like this idea that we're going to have a sci-fi story about the morality of of, of drone strikes, but I don't I, I think it's kind of clumsy to 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 mesh them together like that at the same time. And an example I want to give you Dingus is when Kirk, Spock and Uhura are going down in the shuttle there is this really funny bit where where uh, Spock and Uhura start doing this couple's bickering in front of Kirk. And I was enjoying that. I was like, okay, that's funny. I love both of these actors. I agree with you, Dingus, that Zachary Quinto is, op- is awesome. Uh, I, 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 I yes. want to definitely say that. And you know what? Zoe Saldana, too. But she can kind of do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. So I'm liking this scene with the domestic spat as they're on their way to an action sequence. But then it segues, and, and I don't. I thought the segue was awkward, and the ensuing drama didn't work. It segues into this monologue where Spock talks about the fear of death, yeah. and I just thought there was no Lindelof doesn't know how to make that segue work. The actors are having a struggle, and I liked Saldana and, and Quinto a lot. The actors are having a struggle with this. Um, it just struck me, you know, you call it a balanced dingus, but it just struck me as schizophrenic, and I didn't. 
It didn't work for me. It didn't work for me at all. So the early on, I just the don't movie, believe it. It just like it made me laugh, and then I can't believe the guy who just cracked that joke would say the next thing. Like, hey man, seriously. And it kind of loses me for the rest of the movie. So that by the time they're just punching each other on the back of the truck. I was just like, oh, just get this over so with. Fights. Is that fucking Star Trek? <laughs> uh, well, how did it look to you guys? Uh, huge budget, of course, lots of special effects, some production design stuff. What did you guys think of all that? You guys are going to hate me for this. Mm-hmm. This may be the worst thing I've ever said. Uh-oh. 3D is starting to grow on me. Maybe just because... Ha ha, you saw it in 3D. I saw 3D and I saw Gatsby in 3D. I kind of liked the 3D and Gatsby too. And I went, eh, I don't know. Maybe just because. I wanted I, I feel like of the 3D in, in Great Gatsby, and I didn't see it in 3D in this. The action in Star Trek was kind of working for me in 3D, although it's still not. I don't know. Abrams is he does okay. He's okay action. But I feel like I don't know you anymore, Kelly Wand. 3D. It's not as bad. Or I've sold out, Uncle Tom. <laughs> I don't fucking know. But the last two movies, I didn't mind the 3D anymore as much. I was kind of like, alright, because the warp drive, they made a lot of that in 3D. That's what you guys missed out on. And what? Sometimes it's the warp? Oh, oh, right, right. The long uh, string cheese kind of... Yeah, yeah, it looked good. And they were throwing, it was like they were receding, which was something I hadn't seen. So it made me think of like, alright, fuck you guys. I don't care. <laughs> We want lunch for now. It's like 17 bucks isn't enough. I'm going to go pay more. It's so good. Put on extra glasses now. I don't know. I think maybe you're just, maybe I'm just getting used to it. But you guys sound just so silent with disgust. That I, 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 I can't think of anything that I really loved visually other than sort of the chunkiness. Um, I, I, this is again, I, I felt like the, this world that, uh, JJ Abrams created had weight to it. I, I like the way the shuttles landed. They kind of felt like chunky and that helicopter attack thing that, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch did when that thing crashed, it felt like it had weight to it. Whereas the Star Trek world usually feels very sleek and everything <laughs> lands nicely. Uh, this, this felt more like things are, are more chunky. Um, so, but other than that, I, I don't know what to tell you about the visuals other than the, the one visual moment I truly loved was when the Enterprise enters uh, the Earth's atmosphere and punches through the clouds. I loved that moment. That's where, yeah, that's where Dingus went, nice! Oh, so unpredictable. <laughs> I totally thought it was just gonna, f- by the way, we've already seen it at the bottom of the ocean. Right. So the, the Enterprise, right, the Enterprise rises out of moisture twice yeah. in this movie. It reminds us of that many no, times. The, the point oh, I liked no. was when it went down through the clouds. That was like, boom. Uh, I it, would, that. it would also put out the fire in the water, too. So in a way, it's their best <laughs> option. One, two, three, not only la, 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 Frankly, what were you going to say? I thought all all the folks in uh, the Star Trek movie were very sharp dressers. What about Eve? I'll see. (laughs) How come? So, yeah, what? So, in Starfleet, chicks still have to wear those short skirts? Yeah. I like it. I like the Nazi hats. Nazi hats? Yeah, I know what he's talking about. That was weird. Wasn't it? Did they, they didn't have that in the old... Well, it's an alternate universe. Is this our universe, or is the first Star Trek universe our universe? Exactly. <laughs> or is it the Star Wars universe? See? Oh, uh, see, I... You know what? These movies do not make me more excited about seeing 
it's Abrams. I never thought I would almost wish that George Lucas would stay on the Star Wars movies. Because uh, the last one was funny. <laughs> when Vader went no, that was kind of funny. Uh, let's do a three by three. Speaking of horrific falls. Oh, it's uh, ever. I really like this one, Tom. Do really you really? Okay, because yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I think you guys kind of poo pooed it when I when I announced. <laughs> oh. I didn't mean to. Or well, so this week's three by three uh, are horrific falls in ah. movies, and I, I talked a bit about uh, Alan Rickman's fall at the end of Die Hard, where you see how far he's going to fall, you see the expression on his face. It's slow motion. It's a horrific moment, but he's a horrific person. So yeah, let him fall. Now, I tell you, McTiernan. Uh, that was a real expression because McTiernan like tweaked the timing, like he wasn't supposed to fall yet. He thought so. He's actually genuinely going, "What the fuck?" So it's kind of like in Jaws. But he had diarrhea, and then he had to fall. It's uh. And then Olivier said to him, "My dear boy, it's called acting. What did you just fool?" <laughs> hey, that's a good Scotty. Uh, so uh, I also talked about I had recently seen uh, the Towering Inferno. And there were yeah. horrific falls, but they were rendered somewhat <laughs> quaintly, usually with stuntmen or dummies or models or, or whatnot. So uh, we've come a long way with, with movies. What I want from you guys are your three favorite horrific falls. Uh, we have a, a great set of, of picks from our listeners. But first, because Dingus, you're introducing next week's 3x3, three three, is that right? Yep. So Dingus, why don't you start us off with your number three pick for a horrific fall? All right, here's a quote from it. Mm-hmm. Don't you lose her, Gabe. Oh, dadgummit. Dadgummit. Dingus. Man, that's a good one. Why didn't it? Welcome back, Cotter. <laughs> it's either, if it's what I think it is, it, it's either, I might have to change my list. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's what I think it is. Dingus, is this, uh, does Michael Rooker figure into this wall? In fact, oh. he, he says the, the line. Very good. Dadgummit. That's a great pick, Dingus. All right, what is it from? It's from the only good scene from Cliffhanger. A Rennie Harlan. I remember movie. it now. I forgot about that one. It's, it's a great scene too. Uh, so ah. this is, this is my favorite of those. Um, I don't know how you would put this. This is I've got you. Oops, I don't moments. Uh, and so this is uh, Sylvester Stallone is Gabe, and he's out to rescue <laughs> Michael Rooker's girlfriend Sarah who's suspended over a chasm of a narrow peak called the tower. And, uh, and he's just, he's, he, he goes out there to save her and he's holding her hand and she slips out of his grip and just that, ah, oh, man, I can just see that every time in my head. I don't remember almost anything else of that movie other than the fact that John Lithgow eventually shows up. Um, but, oh, is uh, he the villain? Yeah, he needs money. Oh, yeah. It's like a. Is there money in a briefcase on one of the cliffs? It's like, I, I I don't remember any of that. All I remember. You remember the name of the mountain? You said it was the devil's. You said. Well, you watched the scene. I, I bet you. Well, I rewatched the scene. I went back and yeah. watched the scene. It's so it's just such a that opening is it's such a great opening and yeah. promise for for a movie that just doesn't develop. But but that. Suspended across those cliffs, and him, him holding her hand, and then she, and then they can't hold, and I think it's like a glove that that slips off, and then she falls. So there you go. Man, that's a good one. Kelly, one like movie on below. So I was had a headache, and I was trying to just make it through the movie. <laughs> well, you don't just you watch the first five minutes, and you're you're fine. Yeah, that's the first one, right? It's the one where it's the one where the first one. There's only one. Yeah, cliffhanger. (laughs) Five doesn't quite. No, no, I meant the first fall in the cliffhanger. 
movie series series of one the first oh, I'll before up. Lindelof got his hands on it. Uh, he's gonna get, see. And this movie, well-reviewed, tons of money, so he's going to write something even dumber now. And we're the two dumb shits who don't get it, Tom. How's that? Oh, well. <laughs> Good point. Tom wins. <laughs> Tom's correct. Oh, well. Yes. Good one. All right, so Kelly Wan, what is your number three favorite horrific fall? And and what do you think of the topic? Amazing. It was, I was it really, I, I'm stunned that we haven't done this one sooner. Because mm-hmm. then I thought, of, like, I have way too many to choose from. And um, Dingus' is better than... Because I have a Always Got Her, He Doesn't Got Her, too. But I think Dingus's is the better one. It, did you see this Robert Redford movie called Waldo Pepper? Or, oh, where he's like Oh, a that's a great star. one. That's a great one. Oh, no, no, no. no. Yours is better. No, because you don't really see the fall. It's more no, of a no, 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 no. Yours is much better. I like this. Good job. I like yours better because I remember. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, okay, mine's maybe better in that it, it's a really long setup for it because uh, it's Susan Sarandon as a girl <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah, because normally she plays Wookies. And Waldo Pepper's a stuntman, or wait, a stunt flyer, former World War One ace. Is that the fucking plot of the movie? Anyway. So then he takes her, and she's got to do a wing walk stunt. But I think they're even... Uh, I can't remember if they're filming it or they're just rehearsing it. But she does it, and this is this long thing, and they go through the town, and they barnstorm through it, and everyone looks. And it all looks like it's really happening, because it was made in the 70s. There's no CG to Lindelof. And then uh, she gets Blaming stuck him. on the strut, and then Redford misses her hand, and then she just like flies away into the... Oh, God. That's a really good choice. And William Goldman wrote in his book, he goes, that was the reason that movie bombed, was because the fact that Redford misses her, the audience hated, like, they, the rest of the movie, they're just giving us a like, fucking Redford, idiot. <laughs> oh, you're right. That's why That's why I'm reacting that way. I remember him talking about that. Yeah, he wrote a whole chapter, like, uh, like it's all, he just talks about that one scene, like, if that wasn't that scene, it, that movie would have been a huge hit. I don't know, though, but it's like, I watched that scene again on YouTube, like you did with the cliffhanger one, and Redford totally misses his hand, misses her hand outstretched. Like it's obviously him fucking it up. It's not her. Like he really half asses the hand grab. So I kind of blame Redford and not Goldman. <laughs> the end. Number three. But it's so horrific because I was uh, three years old. I think I was actually in the womb still. <laughs> first movie. It must have been very traumatic for you. I was, yeah, my well, I got to fall out of. That's the a place. horrific fall. Yeah, but not as fair. Uh, oh wait, more bloody. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. <laughs> what? My birth? <laughs> I've not seen so the movie. Made, that, it looks yeah. way better. You've seen that. Uh, that's uh, that's two thousand one, I think. <laughs> You're the yeah. star child. Ah, that's right, Kelly Wan. See what he did there? You don't see. So the seventies is before your cutoff point, Tom. Like that's too old for you. Yeah, those are Grandpa Tumblr. movies. Yeah, Grandpa. Mm-hmm. Robert Redford movies. Grandpa. Uh, no, Great Waldo Pepper. Isn't it the guy that did Bonnie and Clyde? George Roy Hill. Yeah, it's George Roy Hill. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, Bonnie and Clyde is Arthur Penn, fool. But also... Uh, uh, the, uh, oh, Rats. It's uh, Butch and Sundance. That's Terrence that's Malick. True. Oh, that's too he bad. He also did Funny Farm with Chevy Chase. Okay, God. It's my favorite Redford movie. But uh, Tom... I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, did you see Three Days of the Condor? Not yet. Fucking idiot. All right. I'll get to it. Uh, Give me time. Did you read Salem's Lot yet? 
No, Segway. I'm not going to read uh, a Segway alert. Yeah, I'm not going to read a 600-page Stephen King it's book about vampires. What? I went. I went to the library to get it. It was huge. It's some hardbound volume that's like 600 pages. No, it's not. I'm not going to read some 600-page Stephen King book about vampires. Because the passage, you're still pissed off about the passage. I've had my fill of vampire novels from you, Kelly Wand. So just keep watching uh, your fucking man shark piranha movies before <laughs> every week. <laughs> even though you're, you read the book in a sitting, and you're, why can't you trust me? Even though I've led you wrong every time. Kelly Wand, speaking of man shark piranha movies, <laughs> do you know a, a movie from? I, I don't know. Actually, the '80s. It must be like '82 or something. That's no. uh, Oh, it was a terrible year for movies. Go on. Uh, it, it was the 80s. Uh, this starred Robert Urick, who I recall seeing Ice this Pirates. movie. Uh, no, I recall seeing this movie because I liked him from Vegas, I think, as a kid. Uh, and yeah. uh, and Joe Beth Williams. Uh, also, um, uh, uh, Ted Gummit, who's the father in uh, Breaking Away? Peter Doyle? Paul Doyle? Breaking Away. Peter Boyle? Peter Boyle? No. no. Uh, he doesn't have a name. That guy doesn't have a name, actually. He's just an actor. Ah, uh, rats. Right. Anyway, he plays a reporter. Uh, anyway, Robert Urich is a, uh, he's a, a burned out, uh, policeman from a, a big, from like New York City or whatever, and he comes to a small town. Uh, Joe Beth Williams is the sheriff in this small town. Hoyt Axton is the mayor. And, uh, Paul Dooley, that's who I'm thinking of. Paul uh, Dooley is, uh, uh, the newspaper, newspaper reporter at this small town. Gould character. And exactly from Capricorn One. However, in this small town, there's a series of uh, of cattle mutilations going on. So there's that's what the movie is about is cattle mutilations. And this is an Alan Rudolph movie called Endangered Species. Oh, these, so these, these cattle mutilations, you, as you're watching the movie, it leads it, it it creates this expectation that it's UFOs. There's something right. supernatural going on. It's like in the wake of Close Encounters. So yeah, it's, it's it's UFOs coming doing these things, but these UFOs they're insidious. So as the movie is going on, Paul Dooley is investigating what's going on, and he goes missing. Hoyt Axton gets murdered by some mysterious uh, assassin who puts poison on his toothbrush. So he brushes his teeth, and then later in the day, his Definitely gums start aliens. bleeding, and then eventually uh, he starts bleeding from the mouth, and his gut splits open, and his, and his <laughs> intestines spill out, and he dies. Um, and so what's going on is that there are government uh, tests going on in this town, and in charge of these tests, Peter Coyote. So Robert Urich... Uh, as the hardened cop and Joe Beth Williams, his love interest, uh, they go to this secret base where uh, where all these tests are going on, and they take Peter Coyote hostage because they're going to rescue Robert Urich's daughter who's been kidnapped. And I know all this because I recently rewatched it. Uh, so they've got Peter Still Coyote. Uh, they've got they've got him as hostage in this military base with the secret experiments are going on, and they have him at this really high catwalk, and they're they're telling him, okay, be quiet, we're going to sneak you out, we're going to rescue our uh, Robert Urich's daughter, don't don't say a word. Uh, so sure enough, Peter Coyote like yells and he alerts the guards, and he somehow either falls or gets pushed off of a really high gantry. So I remember when I when I brought up this topic, I remember as a kid. Seeing this scene where Peter Coyote falls to his death, and you see him hit the ground and splat, and blood goes everywhere. And I remember thinking this was horrific. 
and that it was terrible and that no other movie had done this because in other movies people fall and you see them you know you don't see the the cushion that they fall onto you don't see them hit so endangered species where you see peter coyote hit i remember being convinced this is horrific it was terrible uh, i rewatched the movie and they just they just chuck a dummy down uh like two stories off of a building and then it hits and there's a shot of the dummy and it looks plastic and it's ridiculous what you mean like a stupid person or a mannequin (laughs) a person who's not really bright like a mannequin they just throw some mannequin it's it's the same thing where like his arms are bending the wrong way because it's not a real person you think he's out there at a joint because of the fall so in a way it's worse well, as a kid, like this made an impression yeah. on me. Uh, I don't think it holds up, but in my in my recollection, and the movie's horrible, by the way, too. It's one of those things like when you watch something that you saw as a kid and realize you you never should have watched that again. It's nowhere near as good as as it would ever. You know, you, you've completely ruined the memory of it now. Um, so this Peter Cody's death in Endangered Species, I thought was horrific. I rewatched it. It's not horrific. <laughs> So that's still on the list. Wait, so this is your choice? That is my number three. Is my my number three is my recollection of Peter Coyote falling to his death in right, Here's Tom doing Tom. <laughs> All right, here's, here's my question. Which, which man is the poor, is the poor man's Peter? Peter Coyote or Peter Weller? I haven't seen Peter Coyote recently. I don't know what he's doing. So I'm going to say P.T. with his bad surgery skills. I'm going to say Peter Coyote because he's not in J.J. Abrams movies that made seventy million dollars on their opening. So weekend. Peter Coyote is the poor man's Peter Weller. Okay. Mm, wait. Poor yes. Weller's the Peter man's. <laughs> I will say I, I don't recommend watching Endangered Species for any reason other than uh, Peter Coyote's fake mustache. Pretty, pretty awesome. He's got, for whatever reason, they thought his character should have. It's almost like a handlebar mustache. I know you guys don't watch the Oscars, but do you remember a few years ago when Peter Coyote was doing like backstage um, a voiceover, like hosting for the Oscars, and they had this weird thing for the Oscars where they decided to show like the backstage voicing, and it was Peter Coyote doing it. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, that was Peter Coyote. That's what he's doing now. And that's why you watch. Yep. Did he fall to his death? Uh, yes. Did they have a mannequin do that, it? That was us watching him fall to his death. Dingus, what is your number two pick for a horrific fall in a movie? All right, here's a quote from it. Go, Blackburn, go. Go, go, Blackburn. Man, Kelly Wand, any guesses? Midnight Run. <laughs> Um, Blackburn. Yeah, I don't know. Black. I haven't seen this movie. Uh, what if I told you that Josh Hartnett says that line? Well, it narrows it down to two or three movies. Hollywood uh, Vice. He didn't see that, did he? Did Dingus see that fucking thing? And go, yes. <laughs> nice, nice shot, Josh. Uh, what if it, What if he says it to like Orlando Bloom? Oh, nice, Dingus. Very good. Wait, Very I good, still Dingus. don't know. It's Orlando Bloom screwing up uh, an operation in Somalia. Yep. <laughs> oh. That's a good one, Dingus. Orlando like, Bloom's in Black Hawk Down? Not yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> not really. He falls out of uh, 
Ellis. Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down. He's in Kelly Wand. He's in Black Hawk Down about as much as Eric Stoltz is in uh, Anaconda. <laughs> what about Back to the Future? As much as Eric Stoltz is. <laughs> Wait. So he falls out, and someone says to him, "Yeah, get in, get in there." I, Kelly Wand, I believe "Go Blackburn, Go" is probably said to him before he falls. Oh, <laughs> they're not going. Go fall. They're not encouraging him. All right, Dingus, explain the scene to us. This is great. All right, this is from Black Hawk Down. And um, I remember this. It's really hard to watch because I watched this a few times. And I didn't get to look at the book again because I can't find uh, the book I have. Because uh, I remember uh, Black Hawk Down. I remember reading the book as a completely different experience from watching the movie. And I think the movie is a really great movie. It's it's from 2001, and it's Ridley Scott. It's his and, last good movie, unless yeah. Hannibal was after that, which yeah. I'm a apologist for. <laughs> it is his last good movie. And, um, and so this moment is, I think, different in my memory, at least in the book, than it is in the movie. Uh, but it's this moment where they're, they're doing the raid in Somalia, and, on Mogadishu, and um, Blackburn is this 18-year-old private who's just this is his first mission. He's he's on this raid that they're on, and in the book, as I remember it, he just he, he's so inexperienced he doesn't latch onto the rope properly and he just falls. In the movie, um, Josh Hartnett's uh, uh, Eversman, I think is the name of the character, tells him, go, go, go. And right as uh, he's about to grab the fast rope to go down, um, an RPG is shot, and the uh, the pilot of the helicopter has to jerk the helicopter to the side to avoid the RPG, and that's kind of the reason why Blackburn misses the rope and then just falls. Um, but I think it's more, the idea is that the idea from reading the book, and this is why it's so horrific to me in my memory, is that uh, his inexperience is that he just doesn't grab the rope properly and he just misses. Um, but in the way the visual is in the movie is that the the Black Hawk has to shift space to move out of the way of an RPG, and he misses. And But regardless, just watching this guy try to grab this rope and miss it and then fall into this dust cloud and you think he's just going to keep falling but instead he, you see him make impact and it just seems to me in watching it that it's only like I don't know 20-30 feet down but if, if that's you, a long way though it, it's, a, it's a very long way to fall onto your back I don't know if only is the right word for that well, well, that's the thing. If you remember watching Hans Gruber fall from the top of Nakatomi, right. or Star Trek, horrific right. fall. But sure. just falling a couple of stories doesn't seem that horrific visually in a cinematic sense, and that's why it's so terrifying to me to watch that, and then to watch whatever whatever un, un, unravels because that's that's kind of the the instigation for why Black Hawk Down becomes such a disaster is that they, they have to get this guy out of there and it becomes a, rec- a rescue mission and they're recovering each other and it's just such a clusterfuck. Uh, but watching him fall into the dust is amazing. Dings, when you're watching the movie, do you ever want to go? <laughs> do you ever feel inclined to say... <laughs> what, Laser Cane? <laughs> what are you doing, Tom? Do you ever want to say, nice move, Legolas? 
I want to say uh, clench up, but nice. Oh my god. <laughs> What's happening? The internet's no place for this shit. I know, it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kelly Wand, so I, here's a segue. So instead of getting, by the way, your, uh, your Stephen King book, uh, I was at the library, I was like, I, I need to get some book. I'm not going to read this stupid Stephen King thing. Wand and his recommendation. Right, so on the new releases shelf, they had uh, Mark Bowden's book on the, the hunting of Bin Laden. So oh. I hope you're happy. I've read oh, that thing. Lot. And it's <laughs> awful. It is terrible. It's freaking See? terrible. Because I picked it up thinking it would be uh, a, a sort of a moment-by-moment account of the raid, which is what he did with Black Hawk Down as a, as, a, as a military operation. Instead, this is like you know 200 pages into the stupid thing, and he hasn't even gotten to that yet. Um, so I hope you're happy. You know what? Maybe I should have read. Come down there. Well, next time maybe I should have read Stephen King. All right, all right. Black Hawk Down, very good thing. Is Kelly Wan? What do you have for your number two? Horrific fall. Uh, my number two is in the descent. Do you remember that Liza Minnelli chick who was like the lesbian chick's girlfriend? Oh, this is making me think of one. Okay, go ahead. It's one of those ones where it's. Oh, it makes me think of one too. Damn. Because <sighs> caves are scary as fuck to me. Because it's just. Well, it is scary. It's like dark and you're. And everything is hard. You're not supposed to be in there. It's dumb that <laughs> she said. Anything can happen. And then the way she does is like she's scrambling through this tunnel super fast. And she's just like, no, I can do it. And they're like, whoa, whoa, slow down. We got it. We don't have a rope. We got to do this. No, no, I got it. I got it. And then she's just like plummets off the side. It's like this Oops. super avoidable. Yeah. And nice then, move, Legolas. Yeah, nice move, Legolas. And then she has a bone <laughs> sticking out of her leg. And it was just like this, where you see it coming and you're just like, are you, wait, she's supposed to be an accomplished, why, no, it's, she's an accomplished climber, but an even more accomplished faller. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wand, uh, do you know who Piper Parabo is? <laughs> exactly. She fell uh, too. Well, no, it's not, so uh, she she did a, a, a cave, uh, Monsters in a Cave movie <sighs> called The Cave. Um, it's horrible. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that one. I was curious about it. Did no, you? it's no good, but there is, it's almost, for the price of admission, there is this amazingly sexy scene where she does, uh, I forget what you call it, but it's where you're climbing up a, a, a surface without a rope. A free ascent, I don't I guess know. it's called climbing. <laughs> I guess so, right. Yeah. Uh, but she has to like... <laughs> She, like, strips down to this mountain climbing gear, and it's sort of like Gwyneth Paltrow in Iron Man 3, where it's just, you know, just that athletic body is so sleek. And she climbs up this mountain, and then she has this action sequence where she's dangling from a rope, fighting a monster, and she ends up falling. Um, But it's a really inadvert well, I think they knew. I was going to say inadvertently sexy part of the cave. Does she Um, fall in water a lot? I'm just thinking. Um... I, you know what? It doesn't matter. She's like she's like glistening and and in, in tight clothes and climbing up ropes. And is the cave a reference to her or the place she's in? Uh, it's a reference to the place because there's monsters in it. There's no monsters in her. Um, but anyway, the, your descent thing <laughs> like, just made me wait. think of there's there's a way better uh, you know like hot chick climbing around in a cave scene in uh, the cave. You didn't like the descent one? No, no, I did. But this scene in the cave was was really. Um, I don't like mixing my hot with my scary because then my dick gets confused. 
There's nothing scary about the cave. The cave oh, is look just how beautiful dopey. This girl is. Oh, she's got an axe in the head. Like they right. put these hot girls in horror movies. Then. Well, see, the descent isn't about how hot the girl. Like the descent is a really cool horror right. movie. It's a horror movie. The cave is a stupid horror movie, but there's some really hot Piper Parabo action in it. So I'll with just... nothing to do with fall. Well, she falls once, but this, this makes me actually think of Sanctum. Uh, because there's a fall in Sanctum where somebody gets injured, and <laughs> and but what it really makes me think of is the book Blind Descent, uh, where where somebody falls and they have to deal with whether wh- whether or not they're going to take the body out or not, which is uh, which is a book about climbing, and you're you're talking about descent. Always makes me think about that. There's one thing worse than falling off a mountain; it's falling in a cave. Yeah. There's no light in there. You can't yeah. See, yeah. And uh, speaking like on your arm. Uh, speaking of falling in a cave, <laughs> yes, that uh, doesn't it doesn't even work. Uh, my number two pick. It actually reminds me of Kelly Wan's Great Waldo Pepper one. Uh, I don't remember a lot of this movie, and I don't remember really liking it. Now it's kind of slow. Uh, Robert De Niro directed a movie with Matt Damon called The Good Shepherd, which is about. Uh, I think I never saw that. Yeah, yeah, I don't recommend it. But it's about yeah, it's about the the uh, creation of the CIA. And how one of the guys who was instrumental to that basically had to sacrifice his family life and uh, whatever. So Matt Damon's in it. At one point, his son uh, gets engaged to a woman who uh, it's not really appropriate for whatever reason. I don't even remember the particulars. So what the CIA does near the end of the movie, spoiler, by the way, is they take this woman on an airplane and they're like, hey, we're going to take you home. You know, you're going back to South America. She's a South American woman. She's engaged to uh, Eddie Redmayne, who plays Matt Damon's son. Um, and they are flying her back. And instead of flying her back to South America, they fly in that direction. But they're flying back to South America. They just throw her out of the airplane. Oh. Oh, that's awful. And it's a really chilling, dispassionate scene where it's just like, oh, we're throwing you out of the airplane. Well, legally, they did fulfill. <laughs> they did take her back. Yeah, I guess <laughs> On the so. Outside. But I just remember, the thing is, the, the Good Shepherd is so, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a very cold, slow, uh, impassive movie. Mm-hmm. And there's this horrific scene where this poor woman gets thrown out of an airplane because Matt Damon doesn't want his son marrying her. Uh, it's probably easier ways. <laughs> right, exactly. Pay her off or something. Yeah. So that's my number two pick. Is that? Uh, and it reminds me, of course. Do you see the fall? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You definitely. Uh, There's like a separate shot from a helicopter, or whatever. Of this, I don't know. It's a C-130 or whatever. And it's flying. And you see this poor woman, you know, thrown out of an airplane. And you know, I flash back to that scene in uh, Iron Man three. Uh, and there's the movie Airport 1975, which I think is just called Airport, the original one, where the small Cessna hits the uh, jumbo jet. And the That's pilot five and Air Force one was just the bomb. But go on. Karen Black, I believe. Oh, so, so I was right to put the 75. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Well, you added but, the 19, which was incorrect. But, you. but it sucks the pilot out of the plane. Uh, oh, I forgot that, about that. All right. Yeah. And that's, you know, I don't know that you see him fall. You just see, hey, he's been sucked out of the plane. You use your, your imagination for the rest of it. I thought it was because he ate the fish. And Kelly Wan, that's the airplane. Oh. Uh, but in Good Shepherd, you definitely see her thrown out of the plane, falling, and it, it's horrific. Hey, I didn't see Air Force 79, the Concorde. That's the one that goes underwater. No, that's 77. Jack. No, that's, that's, nope. that's, uh, Star that's Trek in Julie the Haggerty as the stewardess. And George, uh, I mean, Charles Durning talks Julie Haggerty through the landing. 
to land the plane. I want you inside me. <laughs> Jesus! Dingus, get us out of here. What's your number one pick for a horrific fall? All right, here's a quote from it. Mm-hmm. I peed on the corpse. Can they do, like, ID from that? I don't remember a horrific fall in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, you're going to hate me for this, but it's... It's when they're falling off. It's when they throw the corpse out the window and it falls out, off the hotel, and it, they're trying to get rid of it, and it just crashes against the side of the dumpster. Um, that fall. What I was trying to remember were moments where uh, somebody falls and they just smack against something so hard as they fall down, where you, you just have that clang moment and so where the the body is thrown out of kiss kiss bang bang and it, if you can imagine that hard side of the dumpster and a and a corpse hitting the side of that and just cronking on it um for some reason when they throw the corpse out there it drives me crazy i i, I I can't stand it. I can't stand that moment in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Why is so it that horrific? Is, that that is a horrific fall when when they throw that corpse out. You can and, blow, throw my corpse down. I don't give a shit. And when when Kelly said last week, uh, does landing count? Um, that sort of cemented it for me because that landing. Oh, Dingus, don't watch. Whatever you do, don't watch Weekend at Bernie's. All right, I won't. The second one's really good though. <laughs> Thank you. It's like magical realism. All right, so a horrific fall. Uh, suffered by someone who wouldn't feel a thing. Yeah, but I do. I agree with Tom. Every time that happens, that corpse. But it was a dumpster. Hit a dumpster, Tom, and throw it out the window and smacking against the dumpster. It makes me cringe every single time. Wait, that's uh, your number one or two? That's my number number one. one. It's horrific to me. Um, I can't can't even think about it. It's just Kelly. Well, that's even worse than Legolas falling out of a helicopter. Yeah, a corpse. Yeah, Kelly, one. What's your number one pick for a horrific fall? This one really freaked me out, and it actually holds up. And every time I watch it, I go, "Oh!" And but you're gonna kind of make fun of me at first because mm-hmm. it's from First Blood, <laughs> the first one. He like oh, where he, he jumps and yeah, lands in the trees. Yeah, yeah, like, it's super painful, and like these branches are breaking under him. He usually just, like falls by. I'm gonna make fun of you for that. That's a good pick. Oh at yeah, one, it's, it's, it's just gray, like, but it's great. Huh? Exactly. Thank you, Dingus. See, Kelly Wand. I'm so pissed off right now. You guys are just <laughs> let's talk about the fall in the gray. That's way better. Poor, poor uh, uh, Dermot Mulroney. No, Dylan McDermott. That is a, it is a bad fall because it's like he. I remember he doesn't want to fall, or he's scared of heights, or he's somehow predicting it, like the chicken alien resurrection. He's like, I think I'm going to die in the scene, and then she does. So it's like, what's her name? Anyway. The first blood one's good, and at one point, every time I hear it, I can hear at one point, I think he goes, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just the lone Jesus. So, Jesus, dude! <laughs> <laughs> Man, this fucking hurts. It's like, a, gee, this fucking hurts. What the fuck kind of... That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's super... Like, it's just like, I feel super bad for that character, because like, he's on a cliff with a fucking... Well, isn't that where he then has to take the needle and thread out of the butt of his knife and sew a stitch? Knives like, don't have butts. They're not animals. Hilt. Excuse me, the hilt. The hilt oh, of the oh, knife. Right. Those are called the platen, I believe. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, and then he comes out after that, Right. He just like staggers to the riverbank, and he's all, "Okay, can we just tell time out here? You know, I didn't do it." Jesus, 
Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> and then they shoot him in the head, and he's all, ow, what the fuck? So then he runs back into <laughs> the trees. So he's just sustained all these fucking injuries and broken shit from the tree branches, and then the National Guardsmen. <laughs> he's like, I didn't start this, guys. Come on. Yeah, you guys... Right, he does it, though. Technically. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. So watch the, dra- the, the branches break, and you hear him say, Jesus. And I really like that touch. And I also think I feel... I always... I think I hear the shark burp when it eats the girl at the beginning of Jaws. One of the sound effects sounds like it's the shark going. Pretty sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. Listen to it though, and you'll hear it. I guarantee yep. it doesn't it's, happen. You don't ever hear that. It's super discernible to me. It's just that, like, that's not. It's all shit. And the music's on, and there's like splashing, and you still hear the shark go. Ugh, even though he's like only on the legs still. Jesus. Is that going to be? Uh, Kelly, on my number one pick for Horrific Fall, I think you you might have seen this movie. Have you seen the original Pulse, the the Japanese horror movie? Uh, I don't see movies that. So Pulse is uh, <laughs> it's your your typical J horror. Uh, it, it's uh, basically about how uh, technology is, is making people despair and and they they're vanishing. Uh, and at one point. There's a, a girl just walking down the street, and she's trying to make a call on her cell phone. Uh, I showed Dingus the scene earlier tonight, so, he, so he's recently seen it. Uh, and, and it's framed in such a way that you can see like a big old tall kind of a, a gas tank in the background. And there's someone standing up there, and it's not really clear because she's out of focus. It looks like it's just a shot of a, of a woman making a call on her cell phone. And in the background, the woman standing in the back on the tank climbs up on the railing and falls off of it. She, she throws herself off, and that's part of the idea of the movie is that technology is just making people despair, and ghosts are coming out of the Internet and, and whatever. But uh, so, so this woman is falling, and the way the camera is framed, she's going to fall out of the frame so that the stunt woman can land on an airbag. You know, very straightforward. You're not going to see her hit. You're just going to see her fall. But one of the genius bits in Pulse, and there's a lot of touches like this, is that even though this has been a static frame for a while of the woman making the call on her cell phone and turning around and seeing someone on top of this this tank, at that last moment, the camera tilts down and you see the body hit the ground, complete with the kind of sound that Dingus doesn't like. And it's just one continuous shot. It's it's obviously CG, um, but it's a great example of that gimmick where... You do a CG trick where a stuntman falls, and then you edit in like a, a dummy or someone falling a shorter distance, uh, so that it looks like one continuous shot of somebody falling off the tank and her body. In this case, it's a woman hitting the ground with this sickening splat and, and blood going everywhere, uh, and it's just really disgusting and disturbing. And there's no real commentary about who that woman is or why it happened. Um, and the person watching, by the way, you know, the actress who is one of the characters in the movie, she turns away. You know, she doesn't even look at it. Um, and I remember once seeing, except not seeing, someone that was about to get hit by a car, and my immediate reaction was, before the car hit him, to turn away, to just not want to see it. Uh, and that's what the, the actress does in this scene when the body falls, is she turns away before it lands. Um, and it's see, just, I always look, because I want to see if they might still dodge it. The car or the fall? Both. <laughs> well, yeah, true, but still. Uh, and I, I meant to look up the. There's an awful remake of Pulse with uh, Kristen Bell and the the dude uh, Boone from Lost. Is that the Red Tape one? 
Yeah, that's the red tape one. Yeah. And I meant to look up in the remake, because the remake has a lot of slavish um, uh, sort of reiterations of stuff in the original movie. I wanted to look in the remake what they did with uh, with that scene, and I, I didn't get a chance to. I like Bill Pullman's fall at the beginning of The Grudge. Did you see that one? No, I didn't. So he falls. That's also a remake, by the way. Oh, fuck, I ruined The Grudge for you. <laughs> All right. There's Should a good movie. Yeah, I thought, we, didn't we just talk about this? There's uh, a lot in No Grudge, and you call yourself a horror maven. You sicken me. I know. I, I'm sorry. I may quote Chris Pine. <laughs> Please do. Uh, speaking of Chris Pine, we have uh, 11 submissions yeah. from readers. All yeah, right. right. Justin Hurd writes, Hey, guys, a couple of these I spun the other way around, but hopefully they'll be deemed appropriate. Number three... Here's for you, Dingus, from Justin Hurd. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang's corpse toss. Oh, While this uh, is my favorite of the scenes, it is played more for comedy than disturbing, though the way the body bounces is both twisted and amazing. Justin's number two pick, Unbreakable, Mr. Glass and the Stairs. Yeah, Justin, that's a good one. I uh, he writes, I love Unbreakable, probably the best Shyamalan movie, Shyamalan movie. Not saying much. That's my commentary. Uh, Justin says, uh, Mr. Glass is going down a flight of stairs to the subway and trips and falls. While a little too artistic with the fall, the couple points of contact definitely leave an impression. Yeah, the sound effects. Mm. It's mm. That's 90% of it, isn't you think, Tom? Like the sound when the fall hits. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yep, definitely. French watermelon. Uh, yep. Kasaba. That's uh, a good his number one pick, another M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Happening. And uh, his pick Those is are the, yeah, the bodies dropping on the construction site. Uh, Justin writes, this was probably the most shocking for me. Early on, when the movie was still showing promise, we see the first of the construction workers strike, and then one after another as a hail of bodies comes down. If only the rest of the movie could have lived up to this. Because the timing on it's really cool, because one comes down, and it's right. like, wait, what was that body? And then I think one of the legs is tweaked the other way, which always kind of freaks me out. Yeah, it's like birds. It is a great opening. Yeah. I, I, I maintain, I've said this before, I'll say it again, uh, The Happening is a great script. Oh, Jesus. That's right, Kelly Wand. <laughs> Andrew Neller writes, hi all, Andrew and Anne here. Ah, here's a twofer. Yeah. Uh, he writes, looking forward to hearing what you all thought of The Great Gatsby. Apologies, I'm leaving out the rest of my story last week. Oh, so he sent in a truncated uh, three by three pick. Uh, and without further ado, here's there here's the list of uh, he calls them oh, right. the best tragic falls from Andrew. Tragic. So uh, number three, and so passes Denethor in The Return of the King. This tracking shot of Denethor plunging uh. from Minas Tirith, which opens up onto the battlefield, is one of my favorite symbolic deaths. His death becomes a symbol for the battle against Mordor, in which the forces for good are hopelessly outgunned. Number two, oh, yeah, I forgot about this one. Uh, number two, uh, the Watchman. The comedian being thrown through a pane of glass window, through a pane glass window from an apartment high up in the sky. The slow motion fragmentation of the glass pane and the smiley pen floating down slowly beside him make this scene work. This death catalyzes the events that follow in the rest of the movie and subverts the viewer's expectations of the concept of the infallible superhero. He's a physical comedian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
Kelly Wand, I won't have you making fun of Zack Snyder, the director of Man of Steel. Uh, I'm sorry. Not yet. Uh, So Andrew cheated by – he pulled a wand, as as I like to call it, Uh by saying that he and Anne have a tie for their number one. One is a classic, and the other is aesthetically innovative. His number one, the first number one he picks, is Dread 3D. This fall, Fuck writes, yeah, bitch! Yeah. This Thanks. fall, he writes, is tragically beautiful. The fall itself is beautiful, particularly the initial throw at the window when Ma is surrounded by sparkling glass. The beautiful fall is offset a moment before a long shot of Ma's deeply scarred and distorted facial features. There's something extremely indulgent and gorgeous about the various angles and the length of time devoted to her descent. Yeah, remember? It is a good one. That's why you didn't like it, because you go, oh, Dred's being a dick by making her fall. (laughs) That's why he is mean to her. (laughs) She doesn't deserve that. Yeah, she's so good in Game of Thrones. What? It's not an acting. She's not being punished for her acting. She's been mean to Dredd the whole movie. I know every time I Dread's like the one movie where everyone I seem to get like everyone agrees with me and Dingus. I think Tom's the crazy one. I'm just saying they come up to me on the street and they go, "Dude, Dread, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. If you if you if you like Carl Urban's chin, that's the movie for you. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I forgot the. I forgot that you saw Zero Dark Thirty and you left and somebody said I thought Carl Urban was going to be it. That's right. Uh, so Andrew and Anne, their other number one pick uh, is, Dingus, you'll appreciate this, The Untouchables. Elliot Ness throws hitman Frank Nitti from the roof. The whole movie, Elliot has been a by-the-book cop, but in this moment, he becomes a kind of audience surrogate who's tired of watching gangsters beat raps, and he decides to take out some trash and avenge a friend. <laughs> Did he sound like that? Is that DB? <laughs> I did like how Andrew and Anne were writing like an like an IMDb entry. Yeah, uh, Andrew and started it. Uh, Andrew and Anne have two runners up. I don't believe the first one. Uh, the first runner up is uh, Jay Gatsby falling backwards into the pool in Boz Lerman's The Great Gatsby. That's a troll, I believe. Well, here's his number. Their their second runner up, uh, Alec Trevelyan in Goldeneye survives the lengthy fall only to be crushed by an antenna. Kelly Wand? Uh, who? (laughs) And then finally, uh, Andrew and Anne have a theater anecdote. He writes, My wife and I saw The Great Gatsby tonight. As Nick Carraway wrote, The Great, above the type title Gatsby on his manuscript, a woman next to me said, That's not, oh, said, That's the name of the book. (laughs) As if this was a deduction. I bet this woman is at home telling her friends about the great twist at the end of the movie. <laughs> he becomes great on paper. Oh, okay. There's a book? Thank you, Andrew and Anne. Scott Andrews writes, Hello, QT3. Three falls, but only one death, unless you count Balrogs. His number three pick, Gandalf and the Balrog fall in Fellowship of the Ring. How's that horrific? Uh, he writes, not horrific for Tolkien readers or savvy movie watchers who know that Gandalf can't be dead, but, Kelly Wand, horrific for Frodo. And the Balrog. Yeah, seriously, the Balrog's family's got to be freaking out. Balrog's like, I got this I got this lockdown, stupid old man, got the here's, whip, <laughs> and then... Here's one for Dingus. Uh, Scott Andrews' number two pick, uh, Mal, jumps to her death in Inception. 
Mal, played by Marion Cotillard, on the ledge about to jump. Oh. And Cobb, Leonardo DiCaprio, sees her but can't stop her, and she leaves a letter framing him for her death. And all this happens because of an idea he planted using Inception. It's not a real fall, though, because it's an Inception. Isn't it? Is it like a dream thing? Uh, Dingus, can you field that question? It's not a spring. <laughs> I like you, Dingus. I hate Scott- Tom, though. <laughs> Scott Andrews, number one. Oh, oh, man, another good one. Scott Andrews, number one pick. Uh, Number one, Simpson falls when his mountain climbing partner, Yates, cuts his rope in Touching the Void. The whole movie is about... The whole movie is about a horrific fall, as Scott Andrews notes. That's Uh, the one you told me to see, right? Yeah, yeah, Touching the Void is good. Uh, So Scott further elaborates. Uh, Never mind. Yeah. Uh, Scott says, Climber Simpson has already broken his leg during the descent and was being lowered by Yates. They get stuck in a situation where Simpson can't anchor himself and is gradually pulling Yates out of his belay seat. So Yates has to make the horrific decision to cut the rope. Simpson falls and is assumed dead by Yates. Uh, Spoiler, Simpson survives but has to make a three-day journey through a crevice and over a glacier on a broken leg to return to base camp. Uh, yeah, so touching the void, that's not really a spoiler, because they're actually talking to the real mountain climbers while they're doing the dramatization of the movie. So you know early on, hey, both of those guys survived. Cause that seems like a bad idea. Um, it's not, it's like 127 hours. And that's right, a, which and is it's not about whether yeah, or not And that's lives. another good choice, by the way, that we didn't choose. The the fall in, in 127 yeah. hours isn't that horrific. It's actually pretty minor, dingus. I would say. Well, yeah, but we know was, we know it's coming, and we know what it's what's what it's ah. leading to. So in a way, it's horrific because of our foreknowledge. The anticipation that would be great for a three by three of uh, horrific anticipations. <laughs> Listen to Tom's rules. Josh Lubliner writes. There are a lot of movies where people, usually bad guys, fall to their death. So much so that I consider falling from great heights movies to be a subgenre of action movies. Anyway, whenever I think about these kinds of movies, the first thing I always think of is The Crow and Dark City, because they are two consecutive movies from the same director, Alex Proyas, in which both end with the antagonist, Top Dollar and Crow, book in Dark City, not only falling to his death at the end of the movie, but falling and being impaled. Mm. Yeah, I like the combos. Yeah. Like in the uh, gray, the wolves eat you at the bottom. That's right. It's worse yeah, than being impaled. Like and then getting eaten. But luckily, it feels just like your daughter's kissing you or something. Uh, Josh also writes, I never saw I, Robot, Proyas' next movie. Uh, he asks, does that end with a falling impalement as well? Is this a falling impalement trilogy? I don't think it does. Uh, the third movie I think of. Uh, is the otherwise unremarkable 90s action flick... Oh, Josh, this is a good one. Uh, the otherwise unremarkable 90s action flick, Executive Decision. <laughs> in which... Uh, <laughs> I like that. In which, Steve, yeah. in which Steven Seagal, not a bad guy, falls to his death less than halfway through the movie. It's not a fall, though. He's in, like, a thing that's going to blow up, isn't it? You're talking about it's not a fall. He falls out of a freaking airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Totally a fall. Isn't he in a thing though, like another airplane? No, he just falls naked through the air, just like uh, naked. Eddie Redmayne's girlfriend or, or fiance at the end of Good Shepherd. He totally falls. Yeah. Do you hear uh, the landing? 
Josh writes, I couldn't find any clips of the scene online, so I can't remember if you actually see him fall. But still, who can forget Steven Seagal dying halfway through a movie? Thank so you, it's Josh. supposed to be because it's him. It's more hor- horrific if it's that balding. A little more horrific if he had stayed around, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> Mark, uh, Mark Doyle writes to us, off the cuff, here are the two most horrific falls that come to mind. And by the way, listeners... Mark has the right idea. You don't have to submit three. You are more than welcome to, but if you only have two, rock and roll. Uh, Mark writes, off the cuff, here are the two most horrific falls that come to mind, assuming falling through air is not a requirement. Hmm. Uh, and then he writes in parentheses, here you go, dingus, a la Sly Stallone dropping people during cliffhanger. Uh, Mark writes, I've always thought that falling through infinite or seemingly infinite space is the most chilling. Yeah. So his number two pick, Titanic. No matter how cheesy this movie is now regarded, when Jack lets go of Rose at the end and sinks into the depths of the Atlantic, it's a pretty horrific, suffocating thought. Oh, I thought he meant the fat guy hitting the table. That's what I was thinking, too. Is that guy guy banging off the railing in the... Yeah, that's way more horrific than an already dead Leo inexplicably not floating all of a sudden. Well, Kelly Wand, before you're done making fun of Mark Doyle's picks, here's his number one. You ready for this? Yeah. This, by the way, is incredibly awesome, and considering that a fall is often dependent on gravity, I really like what Mark has done. Mark's number one pick, 2001. When Frank is in his spacesuit outside of the Minecraft making repairs, and Hal moves the Oblivion-like pod into position to ultimately fling him into space, which looks highly silly looking back, given the advances in visual effects technology, it's terrifying. Especially, especially if I remember correctly, with a total absence of sound effects or score underlying yeah. the sequence. But see, it's a fall. It's a fall without gravity. He gets pushed in one direction, and he's going to go that direction. Infinitely, forever. But a fall has yeah. to be down, or it would be called an ascent. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. No, it no, would be called no. a rise. If it was, if you're falling, Dingus, falling up, Dingus, get in here. Oh, Let's no, have a physics podcast. Dingus, does a fall have to be down? And no, not at all. And in fact, I kind of toyed with this weird sort of fall in sunshine. I think, um, but no, I don't think it has to be down. Not at all. Because Kelly Wan, there's no down in space. So Kelly Wan, are you saying you can never fall in space? I'm saying his weight, his body weight in space would be. Uh, wait, wait a minute. How much does the Earth weigh? <sighs> you know, I think that's a fall. It would feel like a fall. You're just going. Actually, would it feel like a fall? I don't know. At any rate, well, you know, I'm going to land soon. This is going to be over. So in a way, it's worse than a fall. It's a, it's a drift. I think it's a great pick. It's way better than. Uh, it's like saying if you're stuck, if you're. It's like saying Mark Wahlberg's falling at the end of Perfect Storm when he's in the ocean because he's not because he's still stuck in this giant expanse. So that's true of Titanic, but the 2001 pick, I think that's a great one. It, it brings to mind Dark Star, the ending of Dark Star. Uh, you're going to fall forever and never hit anything. What do you think of that, Kelly? Wan? I say him at the surfer. That's a. Uh, no, because he has a surfboard. Because he's going to go on a planet? I don't know. surf, right. Uh, Greg Ambrose writes, Hey, dude, it's been a long time since I chipped in. Uh, anyway, number three. What? Uh, Charles Durning and Hudsucker Proxy? Uh, Greg writes, No. Greg writes, Yeah, he gets a running leap out the window on the top floor of their office building, which sets up the even better thwarted fall later, but I guess that's a topic for another week. Yeah, I don't know. For kids, you know, for kids. 
Uh, we need to see more Hudsucker Proxy, I guess. Uh, number two, James Bond in Skyfall, after getting twice shot in the chest even, the main thing that got me about the fall was the huge booming crash when he hit the water that really sounded like it hurt. What? When did he fall in the water? At the beginning. Yeah. Oh, off the saw. train? Yeah. Money Penny snipes him, and then he falls into the, oh, yeah, wa- yeah. Falls into the water, and then you have... And uh, then drowns. I don't think it's a fall if you land in the water. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. <laughs> What's the name of the movie again? Murphy. <laughs> uh, Greg Ambrose's number one pick, Ripley in Alien 3. And he yeah, warns- that's pretty horrific. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty... It's... Bad enough. You have an alien alien three or alien four. Uh, he warns spoilers, uh, but Ripley's high dive into a molten pool while an alien queen burst out of her chest would have to make her about as fucked as I can imagine any <laughs> single character being, and she still made it back for another sequel. So alien I three. Remembered that even though she was the seventh clone of a. Yeah, and Greg writes, my main runner-up probably has to be the comedian getting thrown out of his apartment in The Watchmen. It almost made the list, but I like to set the three too much. There's two runners-up I have. I'm surprised no one said. Well, we're not done. Uh, Rhiannon McLean writes, Hi there, here are the first three falls that came to mind for me, which I guess makes them the most memorable, if nothing else. Number three, uh, here we go. In Sunshine, the main character, Kappa, has a recurring yeah. nightmare of falling towards the surface of the sun. It's horrific and ultimately, spoiler, comes true at the end of the film. Though in his dream, the fall is fast and violent, when it actually happens, it's somewhat serene. It's happening in slow motion because of gravity well or time dilation or things. Uh, and he reacts with wonder as everything starts to burn around him. Kelly Wand, here's one for you from Rhiannon McLean. In The Descent, she writes, her number two pick, among many other horrific and thrilling spelunking set pieces, there's a bit where one of the characters is crossing a deep and dark underground ravine by dangling by her fingers from yeah. the ceiling. It's a good, uh, yeah. As she crosses, she is removing the climbing rope bit by bit so they don't have to leave it behind. She loses her grip and falls, and the other characters snatch at the loose safety rope to save her from falling into the terrifying darkness. The scene is horrific, not only because of the almost unbearable tension, but because we see the synthetic rope tear through the hands of her friends as she tries to catch it, ripping through her gloves into her skin. Isn't a monster crawling at her, too, across the ceiling, or am I misremembering? Uh, I don't think Rhiannon is here to answer that question. (laughs) I was asking you. (laughs) I don't remember. You saw the movie. Uh, And Rhiannon's number one pick, again, very good. Uh, My number one has to be has to my number one has to go at one because it actually happened, which makes it more horrific that, than any other movie fall. In the quote sort of documentary touching the void, there's a lot of falling over, but one stands out. Two mountain climbers are left in a sticky situation when one of them, who already has a catastrophically broken leg from an earlier fall, falls through a crack of ice into a massive ravine. Luckily, he's attached to his pal by climbing rope, and his fall is arrested in midair, hanging in the darkness. Meanwhile, his friend is further up the mountain, acting as an anchor, with no idea of what's happened at the other end of the rope. After hours in the freezing cold and dark, unable to move or communicate with his friend, starting to come to the conclusion that his friend is dead or beyond rescue, he is faced with the horrific, unthinkable choice between waiting in the snow to die himself or cutting the rope. Apart from the nightmarish thought of the fall itself, the situation that results from it is one of the most horrific things I could ever imagine that it actually did happen to these guys is the worst part. Rhiannon has a few honorable mentions. 
in one of the Saw films. Maybe three, she asks. There's a bit where, oh, God, oh, Rihanna, this is terrible. In one of the Saw films, there's a bit where a woman is thrown into a pit of syringes. (laughs) (laughs) The almighty syringes. I'm having trouble visualizing that. They're all pointing Uh, up. No, it's just, a, it's just like a. It's just like where you would throw away all these discarded syringes. It's just like it's just like a pit full of them, and she gets tossed in there. And then come what? on, Kelly Wand, how can you not visual? Come on, you get pricked well, with all the little needles and stuff. Yeah, but if they're face down, it's all right. <laughs> uh, her other runner-up, I bet loads of people <laughs> will mention this: the bit in Titanic where the one guy falls off the boat and he hits a propeller on the way down. Oof. Yeah, not a propeller. It's not a propeller. It's just a table. A table, okay. And he was fat. So the, the propeller moment is this horrible and reprehensible moment in Pearl Harbor that made me just hate Michael Bay beyond all other human beings, where you see a sailor just go flung and smack into a propeller. I just wanted to punch him so many times. Dingus, what noise does it make? Cue! <laughs> Uh, Rhiannon's other honorable mention it's not a big fall but the whole scene always really distressed me when I was a kid in Supergirl the movie there's a bit (laughs) (laughs) I'm listening continue I'm all ears. There's a bit where she's sent to the Phantom Zone, and her discovery that she doesn't have any powers there is extremely painful to watch. She tries to crush crush a rock in her hand, and it makes her hand bleed. And she tries to fly repeatedly by throwing herself into the air and just crashing onto the rocky ground. It always looked so painful to me, and her suit gets torn up and whatnot. And I hated that her powers didn't work anymore. Just terrible. They have rocks in the Phantom Zone. That <laughs> was uh, That's awesome. Also, uh, Rhiannon wants to point Super out that uh, Rhiannon points out that she uh, thought Iron Man three was atrocious. I can't believe everyone else likes it. I don't understand there was to enjoy in it. It's much worse than the second one, and the second one wasn't good either. There was True. a glimmer of hope for me when Christian pretended not to like it. <laughs> All right. Wait. Paul Weimer writes, I have to admit, Tom may have set a record for the length of how long it took to introduce a three-back. We're going to skip this part. (laughs) Uh, Here we go. Paul's number three pick, the Hulk, being ejected from the helicarrier in the Avengers. It turns out to be funny when we see the landing, but he falls at the time. But the fall at the time is... He's not the Hulk yet. He's falling and hoping he turns into the Hulk when he lands, right? The, the Thor's uh, Thor's fall is m- far more horrific than Hulk. This is the Come worst on. conversation ever. All of a sudden, yeah. let's move on to his number two. <laughs> the Hulk falling. Uh, speaking <laughs> of really superheroes weird. falling, Paul mentions <laughs> the comedian being thrown through the window to his death at the beginning of Watchmen. Whatever. All right, here we go. Finally, Paul has a good one. Uh, Madeline uh, slash Judy, played by Kim Novak, her fall from the bell tower, the climax right. of her deal. <laughs> well done, Paul. Uh, she hasn't come back though. Paul, they can't all be winners. Just so you know. They can't Wait, all be winners. Uh Lizard Dude picks uh the baby tumbling down the cliff in the opening scene of Kung Pao Enter the Fist. <laughs> Kelly Wand, thoughts. Fist me, that, bro. It scared the shit out of me. It's the most terrifying movie, and that's the most terrifying scene in it, yeah. Jonathan J. Lando Pratna writes, The first to come to mind is Mufasa's death in Disney's The Lion King. Dingus, thoughts? Uh, it means no worries. 
<laughs> and then finally, uh, Fred and Lynn, once again. Number three, man, people love Zack Snyder movies. Number three, the comedian thrown through the window to his death in The Watchmen. Number two, what? I don't remember this part. Uh, Dick Jones getting shot by Robocop, stumbles through the plate gla- glass window, and falls to his death. Who's Dick Jones? Uh, is he the guy from the Disney movies? Isn't it Ronnie Cox? I don't know. Uh, and Fred and Lynn's number one pick, Neo. Oh, I like this one. Neo's first. Well, it's not horrific. Uh, Neo's first jump off the rooftop in the Matrix. Most horrific. Why? Fred and Lynn ask. Because Neo lives, and we're stuck with two more crappy Matrix movies. Uh, I like that fall, even though it's not really real. Kind of like an Inception. Uh, one of my runners-up, I recently rewatched and really enjoyed the Brad Bird um, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Yes. Uh, there's the the because CG can do this now. When the generic villain guy falls in that parking garage, when when he and Tom Cruise are punching each other to get the nuclear button suitcase, and the Russian guy at one point realizes that the best way to keep Tom Cruise from getting the suitcase, they're, they're fighting at the at the top of a tall parking garage kind of thing. He takes the suitcase and just lets himself fall off the edge. Yeah. And we see the shot of him like banging into things and then yeah. landing on the ground. Uh, that's pretty horrific. Yeah, I remember in Poseidon, Richard Dreyfus. They go, "Hey, we have to kick Freddy Rodriguez off the ladder because he's right. So Richard Dreyfus <laughs> kicks him in the face and the fingers to make him fall off. Uh, that's right, and they're yelling at him, "Kick him off, or we're all yeah. going to die!" Yeah, kick him harder, kick him. Yeah, and okay, come on, guys, what the fuck? And Jack's uh, supposed to be like a sympathetic uh, character, I believe. In in Parker, which is a, a, a Jason Statham movie. That ah, you saw that thing? I did. Yeah, it's actually it's got some cool stuff in it. I love um, Parker, but he's in American books. Just so. not in this book, man, or not in this movie. Yeah, Master of Disguise. I immediately lost. Yeah, Constantine is a blonde guy. <laughs> nah, it's different. But go on. But, but but in Parker, there's a fight scene where where Jason Statham is fighting and a tall balcony on a condo and he has to kick loose a bad guy and they just do one of those great traditional stuntman falling i mean he's he's, he's obviously on a wire and they cg out the wire but it's just this long plummet down a, a condo and you, you don't see him hit he's obviously gonna land on a mattress or whatever but i remember thinking oh that's great it's like a traditional 70s movie and there's some sort of grim violent action in parker that's kind of cool but overall, yeah. What about when Statham falls out of the helicopter and crank? Was that ah, oh, very good, Kelly Wand. Bounces off the car. <laughs> yep. yep. But he lives. It's fine. Uh, what about uh, Temple of Doom? Uh, alligators eating. Yeah. The, the, thing, the thing that's great about that is that his head smacks against the rocks. Yeah. Then the alligators tear him to pieces. That's great shit. How can Spielberg disown that movie? <laughs> Understand it? There's a lot of good shit in it. That's the greatest. That's a great. Eh, I don't know. Other runners up. The one in Abyss when Ed Harris is going down and he thinks it's a suicide mission and his oxygen's starting to get low, so he's starting to kind of they can tell from what he's typing that his brain's starting to like the oxygen loss is making him dumb. It's nothing to do with falling, but yeah, no, but he's falling down the ocean and it's super dark as fuck. But then Deus Ex Machina aliens save it. There's like the, the darkness in the water, I guess, got to me. But there's always at the end of that. Kelly Wan, there's always Chris Elliott waiting for you. Mm. He saves him. The more you know. Dennis uh, runners up. Uh, I hate to bring this up. Uh oh. Uh oh. Do we see anybody falling in United ninety three? From what? 
Yeah. Towers. No, we don't even see that. Yeah. Not the no. towers. Yeah. United plane. I don't know how much you know about 9 Well, we see, you know what? You know what? We see a plane fall. Right. Uh, so, uh, my favorite, uh, my other favorite one is from X-Men 2 when Rogue. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, Dingus, you were going to read, yeah. So, what's going on? What's the X-Men one? So, my, my favorite sucked out of an airplane moment is Rogue. She gets Rogue. saved. It's sucked out of it and it's horrific, but then she's saved by, uh, Nightcrawler. Uh, that's so fucking. Oh, that's right. Horrific. It's an epic scene. It's a saving scene. Uh, but then, of course, the fall. Why didn't you even talk about the fall? Because landing, no, wait, the, the movie The Fall. Oh, I was going to do that joke. I don't even remember the fall in that. What does Lee Pace fall or something? I thought it was that falls off a bridge. He, it, yeah, he falls off a bridge. And I just remember he has to go to a hospital and hang out with this adorable little Romanian chick. Oh, so it all works out. <laughs> right. What if when J Lo puts Sean Penn in the uh, movie? By the way, J Lo is in Parker, and she's really good. I forgot that. I, I guess I lose track. She's she's kind of. She's good. She's not a bad actress. Yeah, yeah. Just when she started making records, we kind of went, oh, oh, But then, uh, yeah, she's in some good movies, isn't she? Well, she's one of the best things about Parker. I mean, she's actually trying to act, unlike Jason Statham. I can't Patty, see. Patty Lupone, for Pete's sake. Parker has a great cast, actually, overall. You know what, Kelly Wan? Go ahead, see Parker. Just do it. No. Yes. I'm reading the books, and they make me not want to see the movie. Because it's so, I don't know. He's a really cool character in the books. He's, he just sits in the dark in between jobs and just stares at nothing. Here's the level of, uh, of, of writing. And imagine Jason Statham delivering this, this dialogue. In the movie, at one point he does something kind of brutal and terrible. And uh, Jennifer Lopez is like, that's awful. You, that was brutal and terrible. How can you do that? How can you sleep at night? And he says to her, oh, don't drink coffee after 7 p.m. Uh, See, Kelly Wand? He wouldn't, the character in the book wouldn't say that. He isn't trying to impress. He's not the same. Oh it's like making James Bond, but it's uh, like Mike Dukakis. <laughs> wow. I don't know. Wow. Dinkus, what is next week's 3x3? Uh, your three favorite moments of compassion. Fuck <laughs> 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 you! Three favorite Wow, what brought this on? Take something off the table. All right, so Chris Pine is in a movie called... Uh, oh, I thought you were going to do a Star Trek thing. You know what? I take back my uh, my groan of disgust. I, he's I feel do awful. a Teen's War thing, obviously. Uh, he's taking an awesome one off the table, too. That gummit dingus. Oh, you mean when he gets this... When he hey, when you, haven't even see, you haven't even seen this movie. Ugh. Chris Pine is in a movie called Carriers, and uh, there's a moment where Piper Parabo... Uh, shows compassion to a little girl in that mom- in that movie, and so there's a there's a debate about how compassion impacts characters in movies. So this is your three favorite m- moments of compassion. You can do with this what you will, and you can say that it uh, helps the movie or hurts the movie or helps characters or hurts characters. So your three favorite moments of compassion. All right, Kelly Long, what do you think of that? Any questions? Mine are all going to be from Cloud Atlas, like when they give bread and shit. <laughs> Uh, next week, let's see um, uh, Fast and Furious 6. Yay! Yeah. I like these stupid movies. Hey, you don't know it's going to be stupid. Did you? I already told you Justin Lin doesn't want to do the next one because he's... They just keep... He's, they're going, dude, because they make a billion dollars each, but 
And but he's he's been doing them so long now, his like mind's fried from just listening to engines. He's like, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Yeah, he's being God. offered so many other movies, I can understand why he would not <laughs> want to do that. No, he's, he's cracked. It's like no more cars. I can't look at Vin Diesel. Fuck you, please. Oh, let me but make more documentaries about Bruce Lee. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> like money. Like he's that. I don't know. Like it's more sick of it than. Thirty bazillion dollars they can throw at him. It's like that sick of it. All right. Well, uh, we think you should see Fast and Furious Six next week, Me. and then join us. Uh, also, if you have any picks for this three by three moments of compassion in movies, send them to three x three at quarter to three dot com. Spell it out. Uh, we would love to read your picks on the air. Um, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Moroski, actually. I don't think so. And Kelly Wand. Did the cops at the end of E.T. know bullets still work against flying objects? La, la, la. Next week could be the last candidate, so I'm going to be reclaiming my status as America's national treasure soon. So, um, suck it. Try harder. <gasps> Tom. <laughs>